Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another shop special on History Hack. We're just calling them Sharp Attack now, just because we like the way it sounds. So as ever, it would not be a Sharp special if Jason Salky was not here. Hey, Jason. Hello there. How's it going? Uh, it's going really well, especially uh, the, the lineup we have lined up today. I'm, I'm brimming with enthusiasm. You have been bouncing off the walls all day. I've lost count. Oh, yeah. The, the focal yeah. uh, you have actually worked your nuts off to make this happen so well done and thank you so much uh we have with us not one duke of wellington today but two duke of wellingtons we have both hugh fraser and david charlton with us hi guys hi there hi and then that meant that we absolutely could not invite two historians who they're trying to look cool on the video feed, but they're actually about to explode with excitement. So we have Marcus Cribb, assistant manager at um, Apsy House with us. Hey, Marcus. Hello. Yeah, really good. Thank you for having me. And Zach, who is our Napoleonic boffin. And just as I said that, who's vanished out of the chat, but we'll get him back as soon as we can. And so we have had Sean Bean on, but... We have got Major Sharp on today, but not the man you're expecting. So we're really excited at History Hack because this man gets so many mentions. He's got more mentions than most historical figures somehow from these TV specials that we've done. The lovely Paul McGann is with us today. Hey! 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 He's going to talk to us all about... Hello, everyone. All about being sharp and what happened and what went wrong. Um... It's sad, to be honest, Paul, it sounds like an absolute nightmare for you. As I remember, yeah, and I'm kind of relying on Jason, who I know kept diaries and journals at the time to uh, pick me up and fill me in. And uh, I'm sure we'll get there, but I prefer to talk about the fun times, like watching Simferopol versus Shelburne in the nascent Champions League qualifying rounds. Remember that? We went, didn't we? We went, the the, the Darrow... We sat in the stand. We sat oh, in the director's stand? box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah because the city we were in, Simferopol, well, uh, well, I know, because when I ended up in the hospital there, the guy said to me, but I see this injury every day. You know, it's a sprain. Uh, you know, we have a football team here. You know, it was a city about the size of Liverpool, 500,000 people. Um, yeah. they were Premier. Were they playing? I can't remember. Who was, who yeah, so it was the, it was the Simferopol Chornomorets, or whatever they're called, yeah. versus Shelburne Rovers, Irish team. And Dara had got tickets from one of our security guys. He said, oh, Dara, Dara, Irish, Irish, yeah. Irish. So he, a bunch of us went and we sat in the director's box and Shelburne got slaughtered. And we were there shouting for Shelburne. We were singing yeah. songs. 
the whole stadium couldn't believe there were Shelburne supporters and they couldn't believe we were singing songs and we were shouting the ref. It was hilarious. And on the way home, we got a flat tire back to... Back oh, to, wow, wow, wow. No, you're telling me I'm remembering. Yeah. Thank God you're here. Yeah. And so what a hoot that was. Uh, another football-related one was when we watched Liverpool Spartak Moscow in, Mos- in Malcolm's Suite. I think we got no, beat with Lyndon, me, you, Daryl. Daryl was putting money on all the, the sendings off in the Bruce yeah. Cobb, the penalty. Someone got sent off. Yeah. Yeah. So we had some fun times. We had a hoot. We did. We did. Uh, did you have a hoot, David Troughton? Um, I had a hoot until I was very, very ill. Yes. Um, it, it wasn't a pleasant experience riding a horse when you wanted to go to the lavatory all the time. You had a tend to knock the edge off the fun, doesn't it? it sort of, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, they said the water was safe. So yeah. they gave us water from an army bowser, I remember. Mm. Like a, an old tank of water that happened to be on the location. And we all drank that very merrily, thinking it was safe. And we, we, were actually, we were actually pretty trusting, weren't we? At least initially. Yes. As you would be, you know, you're away with, a, with an international film company or a TV company, whatever yeah. it is. And but it was only the second unit, wasn't it, inside Russia after the war? I, mean, I think, I think the, first, the first in Ukraine, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. N- Natasha, my wife, who was on the show, she says there were German uh, v- pop videos or something shot in, in Yalta, but no... West proper full scale production. No. God, so we so, were that early. We were yeah. that. Yeah. Well, well, well. Well, you know, nine months earlier, uh, Yeltsin was standing on the tank in front of the White House, stopping, you know, yeah. Hezbollah and the other commies from trying to take yeah. over. That was nine months before we landed there in August of August the 5th of 1992. Yeah. But the Ukraine was sort of. Um, well, Russia and Ukraine were having a great argument at the time, I remember, because they weren't, Ukraine wasn't sending Russia bread, so Russia said, we're not going to send you oil. So that's why sometimes we had to wait in Russia, in Moscow, a couple of days before there was enough oil, uh, petrol in the plane to make the return journey without having to fill up. That's right. I mean, they, um, obviously, all of the, the republics were getting independence, so they so that was a natural thing. But the gas pipeline ran through through Ukraine, the one that the Russian one that runs through to Europe. So Ukraine kind of had them by the bollocks. And that's but that's been a constant source, even until annexation. That was a constant source of beef. You know, they would cut it off with they say, no, we're going to cut it off. Yeah, but look what he did. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it's 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 a pain. It's a shame because they did have they did have Ukrainian independence in October yeah. when we were there every year. But it was independence from the Soviet Union, not independence from Kiev. No. So they were celebrating being Ukrainian. They weren't, they weren't gagging to be free from Kiev. So anyway, we know Yeltsin's the right, I mean, um, Putin's the right bastard. So that's right. <laughs> but there's one thing, David, um, yeah. I must, uh, maybe this is a sensitive question, but I remember one day you were, you were filming and um, your wife wandered down to the Chosen Man corridor and she sort of hung out the rest of the afternoon and maybe was a bit wobbly when she came back from... Uh, partying a bit with us. Do you, do you remember that day? Or I do indeed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did your wife work yeah, no, with well then? No, she came out. Um, yeah. We all had, to, whenever we came out to the location, we all had to bring stuff. Uh, maybe um, props or things for the unit. 
Um, and uh, we always had an extra case with us to go through customs. We didn't know what was in it. Um, but yeah, she came out for, for a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. Talking about the early casting, guys. Um, Paul, when did you find out you were going to be sharp? I've actually worked, uh, trying to think when it was, a couple of years before, 89 maybe, with Mio Sutherland. We'd worked together. Uh, on in, The Monk. On The Monk in Madrid. Mio, yep. Mio I think, was based, in, was based in Madrid at the time. And that was when Mio gave me a couple of the books. Um, said, he, you know, it was, that, it was kind of in the pipeline. He'd been trying to get it off the ground for some time. and. Um, you know, why don't you ever read? Let me know what you think. And maybe and it's just one of those things, you know, the kind of thing that, you know, it's not an unusual thing to happen. You know, you, um, you're given books or there's, there's ideas and, and, um, but he, but Muir being Muir, um, you know, he's enthusiastic, he's a very enthusiastic person, but uh, he was also pretty canny. Um, and I was actually quite, you know, I was still slightly surprised when not long afterwards he said, yeah, but it, it's going to happen. Um, do you fancy it? Um, we had a couple of the children. Our children were babies at the time. Um, so, I mean, anyone that's had a family and worked as a as a performer knows. You know, particularly those first two or three years, you tend to, you know, you're, you're either at home or you tend to take what you can get anyway. You know, you've, you've got to work. It has to. Uh, so. Um, it was an easy decision to make. Yeah. So you didn't actually but, but, read or audition for it? That I don't remember. Maybe I did. I'm not, I mean, my memory's shocking. Maybe well, I did. I, but I, I'm not sure they had a director back then. I don't I'm think you've sure got No, I, d I don't remember uh, reading okay. or audition. I remember meeting Malcolm Craddock uh, eventually. Uh, probably I didn't. Read. I, oh, I, no, you know, because Malcolm wasn't on until when you right? did The Monk. Malcolm came on six months before to, and he guaranteed half uh, of the money. He came along. Muir had struggled for like five years yeah. to do it. And Muir, Malcolm came along and said, look, I'll take over half the costs and give you half of that. Right. Life. So presumably, you you know, before he died, you talked to Muir about it and you talked to Muir I about talked to it. his sons. Oh, is that right? Stuart um, and Alejandro. Right, about... Yeah. About these years where he was trying to get yeah. it off the well, ground. Well, you know, unfortunately, Muir had Alzheimer's for the last few years, so I couldn't really talk to him. But yeah, yeah I've, I've done my research over the 25 years. Or so I would have talked, I mean, the period I'm talking about, you know, 89, 90, he, presumably then he would have had the rights. Yeah. Um, obviously, rights always revert and you lose rights or whatever it is. But, but uh, anyway, but, but as we know, he managed to, to get it done. Um, he didn't know, I remember when in 89, 90, he, naturally he didn't know who would do it how it would be done which company would uh or which channel certainly um, would do it could have been the bbc um, that's right it was it was proving pretty expensive in all those places and what happened was yugoslavia is where they were making a lot of movies that closed yeah. down because the balkans war and then the soviet union opened up and there was this thing called the east-west association inside of central television and they said right. hey we know this place in the Crimea, which is the Soviet Riviera, the Soviet Hollywood. Let's go film there. So it's sort of a, it was a sliding door situation, like so much of Sharp has been for some people. But you um, say that we were the we were the first crew in, certainly after the end of the Soviet Union. But yeah. but, but, but in but 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 there'd been plenty going on there before we'd got there. Is that what yeah. you mean? Yeah, there had been Russian docos, Russian, Russian productions, and 
Russia House. Yes, I was in Russia House actually. Yeah. I didn't, but I shot my stuff over here. But true, yes, there were some. Yeah, that's true. That was in yeah. eighteen nine ninety. Russia that House. That was the yeah. first one. Yeah. Okay, but that was in Russia. Yeah. That wasn't Ukraine. I know we all used to call Crimea Russia all the time. I know. That. <laughs> Paul, I'm dying to ask. So one thing that's iconic about Sharp now is Sean's accent. What accent were you playing it with? The London accent that's in the books. I don't. I don't no, I wouldn't have even dared. I don't think. Um, I don't think I did. Books, isn't he supposed to be dark-haired and a cockney? I think he is. Yeah. He's meant to be plenty of things that I'm not. I remember that. Um, well, he's a six-foot-four... He's six-foot-four. Massive four. scar, black hair, and... and <laughs> From uh, a Londoner. Londoner, shortage. You know what I mean? And, um, anyway, but, you know... But you were doing a neutral... I remember you are doing a neutral accent. I, I, in my mind still is when you say... Liquor displeases the Lord. I remember that line so well. Is that so, right? You remember, remember saying that? Too. No, Liquor I don't. Liquor displeases the Lord. <laughs> and it's so different <laughs> from the way Sean did it, but equally brilliant. I mean, so much of that stuff is... is, is well, tell me, did Sean ever, did Sean himself ever, I mean, did he attempt it, like, I don't know, a London accent or... or so no, we talked about him with that, and I think he just all along they said just just go with you. He was prepared to do it, yeah. and um, I, I think it was the crew one we did, Jason, where we spoke to yeah. the crew, including Alejandro. Yeah. Um, he was perfectly willing to do it, and they knew he was good at accents. But in the mm. end, the director just said to him, "No, just roll with your. I want your normal accent." Well, I mean, kind of neatly. I years back, around the same time, not long after, but anyway. Um, I ended up reading the audiobooks. Yes, yes. Uh, back in the 90s. And yeah. I don't remember I tried it then either. I would have just read, because, you know, with the audiobooks, you have to read everybody. You know, men, women, children, armies, whoever, you know, Spanish people, Portuguese people. Um, and uh, I don't think I, you know, I think probably when I read the audiobooks, I probably had Sean's voice in my head. Um, mm. Ironically, so. Um, Sean now seems to have coined it in more ways. Kevin Cornwell goes and um, puts uh, Yorkshire in. He goes and puts the, uh, the young shark ran away to Yorkshire and then joined the army just to <laughs> weave it back in, doesn't yeah. he? Pragmatic. <laughs> yeah. Quite right, but, and too. Then, and, so, and stops describing his tall, slim, dark hair, which is more, uh, more yeah. yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. Got, he's got blonde streaks and coming here. <laughs> Bleached in the Spanish, uh, Spanish sun. I do remember, th- I mean, looking back, I do remember thinking, you know, when you get, you know, you, you get offered stuff, you get, you get to read the stuff. Um, and it's, you know, it's, a, it's just a, a natural and a daily thing. You know, if, if you're a working actor, you're getting stuff, you're having to kind of meet, if, stuff, if something's in a book, uh, or the, you know, the characterization's already there, you're not, you're not inventing it yourself. Um, and the stuff, you know, certainly you can't match or hope to emulate or to do. Yeah. Um, you know, you, I don't know. I suppose the, you try and meet it halfway or whatever it is with you know um, characteristics of yourself. You try. You, you want to be comfortable anyway. Uh, doing it, particularly if there's not a lot of time. And you know, we it would be great to get six months to to uh, rehearse things and prepare things. But we never get that. You know, you're always starting next week. So um, um, and in Sean's case, of course, he did. You know, it was a quick turnaround, and in he went. Yeah. I remember when I first read the books. I, th- I said to me, oh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're really good yarns, you know, but, um, you know, you're sure it's me? And he said, yeah, 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 great, you know. We, I, a few years before that, I'd been on the telly doing some war, th- some First World War thing, and he'd kind of liked it. 
So, um, and it's, this is, again, this is often the way, you know, you, 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 if you're good in a hit or, you, or you've been in one thing, yeah. you, tend to, you tend to get attention or your offers or whatever it is, uh, almost to repeat the same thing for somebody else. So, um, particularly a young actor. And I think, I think in, in a way, that, that was Muir's, I seem to remember that was Muir's thinking. Yeah. Um, no, definitely. Was there an element of reading the original scripts and that and thinking, God, this is going to be a lot of effort? Uh, running around it, and the... Uh... I, thought, I thought it'd be a scream. I, I yeah. thought, I thought, and you know, um, and the, you know, I didn't mind a bit of, um, you know, again, when you're a young lad and you're an actor, you, you don't mind doing, you know, going away, flying on planes and seeing the amount sort of battle scenes and... Mm blowing stuff up you know that's always a hoot um again again just speaking personally but because we had two small children and what was it going to be jace it was going to be what 16 weeks or something like that wasn't it it was going to be a long haul that one um yeah so like david was saying you know the family's gonna have to come out at some point so you know so you begin to think practically as well uh and again, um, we, when we, that is me and my wife, uh, I, I went out there first, obviously be prepped. Uh, Annie arrived uh, a week or so later with the children. Um, but I but know that Yalta, when, yeah, that was in Yalta when we were there. Yeah, she arrived when we got to Yalta, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we, she'd sort of, because uh, we had to bring um, baby stuff. There was stuff you couldn't get at that time mm. uh, whether it was formula or, or even um, disposable nappies you couldn't you, 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 you'd be hard pressed to find them there at the time so you know so the space had to be made in one of the containers or half a container um, so um, opportunistically I remember Annie filled it with food food we liked we happened to be non-meat eaters so you know you were never sure so she brought all kinds of stuff out and i remember some of it ended up feeding us all um at one point i remember being in during the uh during the force majeure fiasco um <laughs> later on when uh, when the when food was scarce i remember a little line of um, chosen men and others outside of our room and, and, and some of them were eating baby food you wow. inherited yeah. some stuff when you split i think I think we probably left it, yeah, tins yeah. of tuna and malika yeah, and that kind of thing. People, you know, because it was, it, was, it was clean grub. And of course, from that point on, we learned exactly what we had to do. I mean, I thought the show was over once that happened and we all went home after Force Majeure. I mean, I was hoping, I was praying, but uh, I thought it was over. When, as soon as we found out we were going back, I, I yeah. packed the tuna and the mayo and the da 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 da. <laughs> and then forever, forever onwards, I was not reliant on the sharp catering or hotels in, in Ukraine. Jace, tell me um, how, all in all, how long, including the period that I shot and was injured and finally got rid of, how long was I out there in total? We were out there for six weeks. Just six weeks. And, the, and it happened on the sixth day. We happened on our first weekend there, we played football. And that's yeah. when the accident happened. Yeah. But it got retweaked twice. So we were there six weeks in total, but the thing happened on the first week. Yeah, so I was injured right from the beginning. Right at the, from the off, yeah, on our first day off. We did six shooting days inside that sweltering little hovel barn thing with yeah. Julian Fellows and Tim yeah. Bentink. Uh, yeah, and then so we were out there for 22 weeks in total that year. We are being paid for 22 weeks. Well, well, the people, you know, lifers like myself. Yeah. Lifers. 
Okay. Just welcoming all the better for seeing you, we my have friend. The lovely Brian Cox with us, who's in New York, is it? Yeah, yeah, upstate New York. And we also have joining us from Madrid, I think, Scott Cleverdon. Well, now we are in Bagur, which is a, a little, uh, you know, beach town um, in Catalonia. Just oh, uh, I'm even more jealous now, thanks. <laughs> we have the lovely Assange Turner and Scott Cleverdon with us as well. So Lieutenant Price and Teresa Moreno. Hi, guys. Hi, 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 everybody. Hi, Brian. Talk hi, about Hugh. hell and high hi, water to get here today. Yeah. <laughs> so we have Marcus and Zach have just spent the last three and a half weeks campaigning for Wellington as the greatest Britain of all time. And he actually finished third in our poll. So we decided that we hated that BBC poll. Or I decided I hated it from 19 years ago because Oliver Cromwell was in the top 10 and I wasn't having it. Um, and Princess Diana was second. And I was like, <laughs> so we did the whole thing again. And Wellington was third. And Marcus, just tell us, just tell everyone a little bit about what Wellington means to you. You campaigned. Wellington means, oh, I thought you meant just that short campaign. Yeah, I mean, the Duke of Wellington. Um, hopefully, everyone uh, listening and is on this call uh, knows, but the Duke of Wellington from uh, minor Anglo uh, Irish aristocracy uh, rose to be. Uh, Britain's greatest general of the age, I'd argue British greatest general ever, and possibly one of the greatest generals who ever lived. Um, never defeated in the pitch battle, uh, but also quite a relatable human. He was uh, one of these uh, military leaders who wept um, at the scene of battles in both Spain and at Waterloo. And uh, he went on to do great reforms as a prime minister, uh, during which time he lived in Apsley House, which is my connection where I uh, managed. Uh, he's also a patron of the arts, um, a huge fan of music and opera, and um, and though yes, it, even by modern standards we've, we've judged these men, but by 1800 standards, uh, one of the absolute greats, and uh, certainly one that we should celebrate uh, today. So I just have to ask David and Hugh, how do you go about getting ready to emulate that? Um, shall I go first, Hugh? Yes, please um, do. I only did it for two episodes, so yeah. I mean, Hugh will be the major uh, contributor, I think. But um, yeah, you—I got the part when um, through the Hubbards, the casting agency. So once you get the part, you start reading a lot about the character and about the campaigns, basically. And um, I knew I needed a big nose. <laughs> I've got quite a big nose, so I had good, somewhere to uh, stick on to. Um, yeah, that was three hours, three and a half hours every morning. Oh, lots of people have asked questions about that prosthetic nose. Apparently it was an absolute nightmare. It was, but I think it was worth it in the end. <laughs> it looks good, but yeah, yeah. three and a half yeah. hours. I remember I had, when I came out, um, because I wasn't there all the time, I came in and out, I flew in and out. Um, I used to Lucky have you. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember you, Brian. You, you, you were cooking in your own room, I remember. Oh, my God. Yeah. You wouldn't come out. You, you had a little camping stove. I, I, did, I did go out occasionally. <laughs> I, I seem to remember, Brian, that you were macrobiotic at that I time. I was at that time or something like that. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember I Paul, I remember I was Paul telling me... With, I was more concerned with trying to fax... John Tam's home because he was getting so thin. 
Yes, <laughs> I remember you were using my phone, really, from the room, right, Brian? <laughs> you were sharing the room, the, the phone in the rooms. That's one of the things that people have forgotten. No internet connections, no DVD players, no phones, no mobiles, no nothing. You literally separated from the rest of humanity, which was extraordinary. One weekend, there was only one phone in the Russia Hotel. Yes. And uh, one weekend, uh, Sean Bean uh, bags it to listen to a football match in England. <laughs> yes. He sat by the phone in the booth with because his mother had put the radio by the phone at the other end, <laughs> and no one, no one could get near it for two and a half hours. But it only cost it cost dollar tiny amount of dollars the first year until Ukrainians realised that they could make a lot of money out of us. But do you remember, David, we all had to write down the numbers and how long in a little book. Yes. And, but, but they never hit us for the money. It, it was, it, it was all this time logging them, but then we never got charged for the calls. No, they, they weren't clued up on how they could make money out of us until the next year, apparently. So. Oh, the next year, yes. It was uh, yes. triple what... Uh, totally no. <laughs> well, it was, it was double on the second year, triple on the third year. Yeah. But I'm afraid, David, you've given the Rossier a bit of an upgrade. It's a sanatorium, not a hotel. Well, I know, but they called it a hotel, didn't they? Mm-hmm. It was being polite, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> it was a recovery group for KGB alcoholics. It was. Absolutely. Yeah. That was what it was. it was built. That's what it was built for. Yeah. Yes. Is that the one that had the toilets with those little shelves in them? That was I the Moscow Hotel. But I remember we didn't have any toilet paper. Well, it That's only came into its own the whole situation, because if you remember, there were lots of nurses there, uh, yes. lots of medical staff, who actually, I had some wonderful massages there. And then it came into its home when we all got sick, when we all got guardia, and the shit literally hit the fan. <laughs> actually, physically hit the fucking fan, actually. <laughs> and we all got sick as dogs, and that's when I decided it was time to fax John Tams home because I, I thought the guy was dying on me because he was getting thinner and thinner and thinner, you know, every day. And, uh, uh, did yeah. mention the enema, enema doctors, Brian, the enema doctors. Yeah. The enema of the people. Did I dream it or were those masseurs, masseuses, were they white coated? Yes, yeah, they were. were. They were professional the people, weren't they? Absolutely. They were really, really big and um, yeah. you know, hard on the hands. Well, the enema was the way to get rid of the Guardia because the Guardia yeah. was the... And they knew that and we were all resistant. I had it I, and I got rid of yeah. it because they, they, they gave me the full works. Uh, the full <laughs> and I, I was very appreciative of it. Subsequently. <laughs> what, what, in Liverpool, they call that a pull through with a Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you need. <laughs> they do that, don't they? Do. Yes. They prescribe it there, GPs. Do that, oh, beautiful. A pull, a pull through. But you know, no, when, I was, when I was injured, um, I remember... Day one. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Day six. But I Day remember six. There, was a, there was a paraffin treatment, which they were really big on. Um, no, that's oh, what Hagman was Best brown paper and paraffin oil. Yeah, that's, Seriously. that's a Hagman cliche, Paul. Paraffin and best brown paper. No, there was apparently, there was something, you know, there were these, um, um, whatever, they, they, the things that you call the things they press on you. Um, compress. Compress, there we are. A poultice. Um, poultice, oh yeah. Poultice. And it was a, so, it was a just, paraffin soaked poultice. Just as long as you get the wire brush and Dettol before those other dirty bastards. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. And I remember this building had, um, again, I may have dreamt it, but, you know, but there, but it was a, it was purpose built, wasn't it? It had been some place yeah, it was for, built by, for, for, built for by party Dermot. people. And, you know, there were lead lined walls and, you know, I mean, even had, we had mobile phones that we, we, they wouldn't have worked in. Um, Do you remember, did you ever try the uh, salt water pool, indoor pool? Brian, did you try that? No, I yes, didn't. absolutely. That was yeah, really a, quite freaky. It was, uh, it was actually the better water to swim in because the Black Sea was dead. That was the weirdest thing, swimming in the Black Sea. Yeah. When you swim in a dead sea, when everything is really dead, and you go, what's going on here? And you realize that there was but no people life. found out that Chernobyl had drained in there. So That's right. They, they certainly didn't play for long. <laughs> David, um, you got that sick, didn't you? That that's the reason you didn't go back. Is that part of your consideration? Yeah, really, really sick. I lost nearly four stone um, when I got back um, because the production company weren't too concerned, really, I felt. and um, Didn't give a shit. <laughs> no, but, but I did. <laughs> a lot. And he lost all the weight off his nose, which was... Yes, funny. that's right. So um, off my own bat, I went private to uh, the Tropical Diseases Hospital and... Uh, we were given this stuff, Flagyl, do you remember flagyl. that? Yeah. Which you weren't allowed to drink with, but didn't stop many people, I remember. No. <laughs> um, but um, that was meant to be the cure-all for it. But it didn't work in a minority of cases, and that was mine, um, until I uh, went to the Tropical Diseases Hospital and got this other stuff, which the NHS... Um, were loath to give people because it cost too much, but my my situation was so desperate. So the rumor was, David, that you had an amoeba, didn't you? Well, that's what um, Guardia Lambia is. Yeah. It's, it's an amoeba history. that hatches but it didn't out. Go into every... one of your, didn't it go into one of your organs, like the liver or something? No, no, it was just constantly you felt um, sick all the time because every three weeks the life cycle of this thing would um they would hatch out more little amoebas and yeah it was great <laughs> but eventually um i got cured so that's why i i didn't go out again because i thought you know i i couldn't go through all that again if, so it's, if there's any if there's any compensation david there's all there's that obviously the famous scene that you do major Lennox with his life and your likeness to a portrait <clears throat> of Wellington when he was in uh, India he cuts his hair when he goes out to India and gets short black hair yeah. and the like by, by, by us would hope the likeness is very good of a young Wellington to yourself yeah, so I mean, if, I, if it was worth it if it helps <laughs> I know no I, I was loved not, I'm, you know I wanted to do it again because blimey you know it was a great series but um I just felt for health reasons I didn't want to you know, well, you know, Brian Brian was trying to get John Tams home. He finally did get home on Sharp 3, the third series, because he was constantly ill all through the three years of our time in the Crimea. So, Brian, well done. But, yeah, D David, uh, John Tams was suffering. He missed lots of scenes. Yeah. He, was, he, was, he was half dead for three years. It was very, very uh, troubling. Yeah. You, were, you, um, were you aware that that was kind of what had happened to the Wellington before you when you took the part? Yes, I was aware, and I felt very great sympathy for, for David for that. And it must have been hell trying to shoot shoot those scenes, uh, feeling like that. Yes. And but, what about I, you preparing to play an icon like Wellington? 
Uh, well, as David said, I, I, I did quite a lot of reading, particularly um, the Elizabeth Longford book, uh, Wellington, The Years of the Sword, which is, I think, probably the standard text on, on that period of his life, you know, the active, active service period of his life. And, um, yeah, that was basically my source um, for the character. And, of course, what was in the script, because, I mean, however much research you do, however much you make, you make up your own idea of the character, what you're what you're saying is what's written on the on the page in front of you, and there, that that gives you the character really as much as any research can. I just have to give the two guys an opportunity to do this because they've been on every sharp special we've done, and they did our Waterloo two hundred and five program as well. Zach, out of out of both Wellingtons, we have what's your favourite Wellington moment in Sharp? I think, and Marcus, I suspect this might apply for you as well. It's that moment when. Um, Simerson turns around and says, I have friends at Horse Guards, sir. And, and Wellington turns around and Simerson's just lost an eagle. Um, this is in Sharps, Sharps, sorry, eagle. Simerson's just lost a standard, um, the King's Colour. This is in Sharps Eagle. Um, and Wellington turns around and that, in that kind of classic haughty way that Wellington did so well. He says, a man who loses the King's Colour has no friends, sir. Um, I imagine you two do it much better than I can, but I think that's got to be just the best moment of the entire series from a Wellington perspective. I love those retorts uh, yeah. when he's bollocking someone. I love it. They're that basically was, uh, that was the David's reason. rage. Uh, Major Lennox answered with his life, so as you should have done. Was but to be fair to Hugh, at the end of Waterloo, um, go on, Sharp. They're your regiment. They won't stand. And then the music starts to build with. Uh, the, right at the end of Waterloo, unfortunately, Jason's just died, but um, it's kind of the, <laughs> the credits start to roll. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Jason milked it enough. It was about 25 takes, wasn't it? Um, yes. If you, have, if you I... haven't watched Sharp, Scott, you're not a friend of ours, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be fair to you, Jason, apparently you had it right. It was the guy stabbing you that kept getting it wrong. Uh, and a stuntman, Igor, who I met in Kiev a couple of years ago with Natasha, and he's a lovely, lovely man. But yes, he was so afraid to kill me, he couldn't stab me hard enough to give me the, the feeling to drop. So in the end, it happened, but it did take a bunch of takes, yeah. I you remember, sorry, yeah, no, yeah. Hemmings actually stabbed a stuntman, didn't he? Yes, he did. He did. On screen. You, you can actually see it. It's actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, you see, and you see the look on Nolan's face as, with complete surprise as he shoves his broadsword into this Ukrainian extra. Yeah. yeah wow. It's a, a, a stuntman. It's actually yeah, a stuntman. Sumter, Sumter, you... Um, yes, I think I have one of those too. You, I, I mean... You stabbed I stab, a Frenchman. Yeah, Frenchman, yes. Which doesn't really count, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it was dessert. Uh, <laughs> it's that, you know, I was cooking all the time in my room. I had suitcases full of things that actually were sharing with everybody Saturdays and Sundays who wanted When to. we came back from the last time when we left um, Yalta, you had 13 suitcases. Yes, probably. <laughs> all with macaroni and pasta. And, you know, and I, I, I was going to the market to buy one tomato because it was the only thing there was. But, um, yeah, you know, me and Sano, remember Sano, makeup artist? From, yeah. She is so, was so lovely. And we were both cooking for everybody. And it, it, was, um, it was very nice, these gatherings. I remember them very fondly. Right. Like, like Natasha and I, Sano is now part of a sharp marriage. She married Mike Mallinson. Oh, I didn't the, know. Oh, no, you guys weren't. Yeah, he was a, a, a first assistant director on Sharp 3, 4, 5 onwards. 
Oh, I see. Ah. So he's and she wasn't. Sano was there also for the third. Sano, yeah, fifth? Sano came back on okay. sharp three, or yeah, she came back. Yeah, oh, and so that's that's one of twelve sharp marriages. Aha! Uh-huh. My God, you guys, me and Natasha, um, Sam and Emma, who was on sharp, Anya and Rupert, uh, Jaquetta uh, married a doctor that came on the show, Sean and Abigail. Um, Susanna, the nurse on Sharp Three, she married Tom Moriarty, the armorer. Oh, and, I see. Tom Moriarty, yeah, and, a wonderful man. Yeah, um, uh, who else? Guy, Guy Pugh, who was Sean's um, secretary translator, Guy Pugh. Yeah. He, he, married, uh, he married Tanya, one of the makeup girls on all the shots, a little blonde girl. So yeah, it yeah, spawned, yeah. spawned quite a few... Well, yeah, now yeah. Marcus, Zach, and I know what you were all doing with no television and no internet. And, Pretty uh, much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you all found a way to keep yourselves amused. I do remember everybody standing on a balcony after too much vodka one night, shouting into the, the Ukrainian sky, England! <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody kind of went, what's the point? <laughs> and went back inside again. And it was true that... that, that you boys made f- made fly uh, bacon and eggs or something. Bacon. You, you, you shipped in bacon and bacon eggs and, and marmite and marmite well, at well, one point the, because we, we, I remember. No, well, we touched on um, we touched on the Dimaji bacon riot that happened on the first year. Exactly, that's what okay. I remember. It was a riot, and uh, yes. we couldn't sh- shoot because you didn't have your bacon in the morning. That's I was like, right. What? Well, we we I don't. I'll go through quickly, but we were promised a qu- cooked breakfast. It didn't materialize. We'd had meetings about it. We went on strike. Muir came to talk to us, and he said to us, "Look, there's no chance of getting bacon in 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 this town." And someone had been to the hard currency shop in Moscow and lobbed a bacon rashing packet onto the table between Muir and myself and, and Dara, who were negotiating the strike. So yeah. that, that was what you're referring to. I mean, since then, from then on, we had bacon every year onwards. Yes, no, but they were, it was coming from Russia or I mean, it, it, from Moscow? Yes, it, from Moscow, yeah. And, ah, and yeah, yeah. Because it was yeah. this rumor that was coming from UK. And I was thinking, wow, what a power have these guys. on the last podcast Alejandra said they they shipped out the food on the first year and they all ran out in about seven weeks all the food they shipped out for the whole show ran out within seven weeks so they weren't that good at planning necessarily let's just quickly touch on it then so we we did talk about your injury Paul um on Mm -hmm. the first one we did with Sean and so as I understand it no no one was tackling you or anything it just went from under you your knee Actually, Muir was bearing down on me. Yeah, it was Muir. It was Muir. Yeah, it was Muir. Yeah, it was the thyroid muscle, as we called him. I'm going to have to defend him. It wasn't Muir. I was standing next to Paul. I'm sorry, I was watching. You were playing the game. I was watching. I saw Muir go uh, go to challenge Paul, and Paul moved one way, but the tarmac on the ground was sticking, and he couldn't move. That's true. And that's That's what happened. Look, and at the end of the day, game. it's a game of two halves, and you can't legislate <laughs> for talent like that. He's not going to argue with two Scotsmen. They uh, <laughs> told you that it was a sprain. Yeah. But you, uh, how, so you would have gone on for how many weeks then? Because apparently you were in agony pretty much, trying to carry on filming. Like, wasn't one of the things... On that, that, on that day, I mean, yeah, on the day I was... On the day we played the game of football, um, I partially... R- ruptured uh, cruciate, the ACL, the anterior cruciate ligament, which, you know, is a serious injury. It would eventually mean I couldn't do anything for nine months. Um, 
you know, you can't get work or um, get insured to work. So, you know, even if you're a professional athlete, that's a serious injury. Yeah. Um, but it swelled on the day I was taken on that same day um, by Muir and Malcolm was with us uh, to the local hospital. Um, and, in, and they said, yeah, that, oh, that's good. It swelled, but it's a sprain. If that's a sprain. That will go down. And, and, and of course, Muir and Malcolm were mightily relieved. Um, so, be, it was, so it was going to be light duties. I'd be back. Uh, you know, they said, well, how long? You know, um, perhaps a week, maybe a week and a half. Um, but of course, what was coming up almost immediately were the, were the big set pieces and battle scenes, um, which we shot. Um, but the right, way we had to shoot the barn fight, you uh, sharp Harper barn fight straight away. I mean, you're yeah, on crutches, you're on crutches yeah. in between takes, you know. Yeah. So they were forcing you back pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, but under the assumption that, or, or yeah. at least without this diagnosis, that it was, it was something. It was, a, it was, it wasn't a serious injury. Mm-hmm. That it was, a, I, I just strained some ligaments and it would be okay. At uh, what point did they realise it was worse? Well, that's just the $64,000 question. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I couldn't tell you anymore. I mean, I, I can tell you what I thought. I thought that I was seriously injured from mm-hmm. the off. I was surprised. Um, just to, you know, because the pain I was in. And, and then, sure, you know, you, you, look at a white, you look at a doctor. Um, and this is in the casualty, the, what passed for a casualty department in the local hospital. Um, but the guy was, you know, was, was, was quite reassuring and adamant, um, you know, that he'd seen it, he'd seen it plenty. Like I say, you know, they had a couple of football teams there. We went to see one play. Um, you know, it was, it was an injury that he was familiar with and that's a sprain. So, um, so I felt reassured. So, and the idea of, you know, at least from that day, the idea of spending the next couple of weeks on crutches was a bit embarrassing. Um, but once the swelling had gone down, you know, um, I could get back to work and we could get on with it, but it never did. It never did. And, and the pain never went away and the, I didn't develop any more mobility. It was just got worse and worse and worse. So the, in answer to your question, I realized probably within a week, uh-huh. the first few days that, it, that this is wrong. Something's wrong here. Um, yeah, uh, happened, Paul, there was a, there was a, um, a, the fight with Daniel Craig. You had that one night and that you, you did the first retweak. It was a night shoot and yeah if anything that actually made it worse it actually yeah. ripped it ripped the original yeah. even further sadly um, yeah you know we had to have a scuffle and daniel's yeah. daniel and you know you don't want to you know we were we were we were we were nervous and eager to please and um yeah. anyway i ended up really really sore then um and i remember then that muir and malcolm then probably again in answer to your question i think then they realized uh, that that was no sprain and this ain't going to get any better. Um, Brian. Oh, Brian's got his hand then, up. And then, Paul, <laughs> Paul wasn't, didn't you uh, actually, at one point, Paul, uh, didn't you, weren't you crawling up? Didn't they make you were crawling up some? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And there was lots of stones on the ground and everything. Yeah. Uh, it exacerbated your condition considerably. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I, mentioned, I mentioned in the last podcast, we, we had to climb up a hill in the shot and to get to that hill, we, were, we physically had to walk and we were like pushing Paul up the hills. Up, and we realized when we got to the top, they could have driven us to the spot. And on that climb up, Paul hurt his knee just climbing to the location. And that was wow. the final straw. 
force majeure happened a couple of days later. You, in fact, you called us into your suite, all the chosen men, and said, look, I'm going home. I'm packing up. Good luck to you. Boom, boom, boom. You know, yeah, what, what happened eventually, uh, you, that's right. I'm, now you mention it. I, now I remember that. But, but all this was, was logged and became part of a, of quite a long case, a court case, didn't it, eventually? It was all uh, yeah. itemized. But, uh, I mean, really, again, quite simply, whatever, whatever I did or whatever I was made to do or had to do and volunteered to do in, in the shooting period, what, you know, the, the three or the four weeks that I shot, um, it all made it worse. It all exacerbated it. None of it helped. It, it only made it worse. Um, and I was in a lot of pain. So um, by, by the end, um, I went to them, uh, that is to, to, to Muir and to Malcolm, and said, look, um, we have a break. Uh, there was a long weekend or there was some kind of notional break. Um, uh, and, in, and back then you had to, of, of, you probably did for the three years, you had to fly to Moscow to fly to the UK. I, and I said, look, give me a chance to, for a second opinion. Let me, they said, well, you can get one in Moscow. I said, let me go home. I'll fly to London. I'll see somebody and I'll fly straight back. Let me get it looked at so just for peace of mind. Yeah. Um, because, you know, when all said, yeah, it's great to be working, but you don't want to wreck your body. You know, there's no point. So, um, um, and that's what happened. And that's like Jason Zespin, probably I met with you and I said, look, I'm going to fly back. I'm going to have a look. And I went and they'd arranged um, that I saw somebody as soon as I landed. I went straight from the airport to the Westminster Hospital and I saw a consultant. They'd arranged for this and it was yeah. you know, paid for through the company. Um, and he took one look at it and he said, I'm, I need to operate on you. Because that's the standard thing. thing, isn't it? It's an immediate operation and then six weeks in a cast. If I'm yeah, right. yeah. And, and then I said, I said, oh, and then I was slightly in shock. And then, in fact, then I went to, on the same day, to the Cromwell Hospital to get a second or a third opinion, effectively. And they, he said the same thing. So then I ended up, um, I didn't come back. Because it was it, kind of made for you then, isn't it? If absolutely, I didn't fly back, yeah. Um, yeah. And so then there were phone calls. Um, I went in, I think, either that night or the next day, and I had the operation at the Cromwell. Um, and when I woke up from the operation, Sean Beam was on the telephone. Yeah. That's how, that's how Sean and I first talked. I think Sean said in the first podcast we did that he was so appreciative. He said that you were a proper gent when he came in and took over and that must have been really difficult for you. But you just gave him loads of words of encouragement and he really appreciated it before he flew out. Magnanimous, he said. Take over, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, look, I said to him, look, take sandwiches and look after yourself and everything else. <laughs> um, I remember that, you know, we laughed. Um, yeah. But I said, really, really look after yourself because, you know, it ain't. It's 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 going to be tough out there, um, uh, and he did, and he and um, I think he, he he probably left on the next flight, but but it was hard, and and the um, you know, and it, as soon as you realise you're seriously hurt, I'd never been seriously hurt, you know, I'd never I'd never been in hospital for anything uh, ever, so um, it was a shock, and, and suddenly I was laid up, but of course that's all that's important, um, so um, you know. Suddenly, ear home. <clears throat> um, I just wanted to get better. Yeah. Um, and then the rest was history. Sean went out and did that. Um, and then, of course, 
then that began, and we'll talk about that maybe another time, but then that began, of course, the long... Um, also, when I, was, when I woke up from the, from the, uh, the, the surgery in Cromwell, uh, and the guy had fixed whatever it was, or, or made good anyway, the, uh, the, the ACL injury, um, there was a representative from Equity, the, the union, there in the room, you know, because it was a little private room. Um, and I remember that conversation, though I was you know, a bit gaga. I remember him saying to me, um, I'm about to leave the room uh, and walk around the block. And when I'm walking around the block, you're going to call your agent, aren't you? And make sure your subs are brought up to date and paid. Um, with, <laughs> with the, what the fuck? Yeah, with the union. And I'm going, oh, okay, okay, mate. He said, okay. Um, so the thing, I'll look this way. You, you pay your subs, because I hadn't paid my subs. I was probably too, you know, you, you're a kid, you don't pay your subs. I guess he couldn't uh, have threatened you with by putting you in hospital. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and that's, I'm break not, your that's, legs. that's how it happened. And I came back and, uh, and uh, he said, and so he, he just asked me the question again. And, and so that was that. And so that, that's big, that began the next, whatever that was, that four or five year episode of, um, you know, which is a story in itself. But uh, that's how that happened. Sing out the party at my flat with Brian and Nolan and Paul Trussell and all the chosen men. Remember that little party we had? Do we tried to get Sean there, but we didn't know how to get in touch with him. But good, good times. That was that was. Yeah, strange times. I mean, and again, really, for for me, um, I'm just going to hog this bit, folks. But um, (laughs) the 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 unusual, the really, I mean, an experience aside from all the, the, the the the. the, the, the shocking experiences of the whole period again which i wouldn't swap if i had my time again I'd, I'd do it all again but uh what was what was really strange and something i've never i've never even heard about I, the last time i saw sean uh actually we sat and we talked about this and, and i he couldn't remember ever hearing about such a thing that when of course by the time that i left and was and, and left the production we'd shot five six weeks that's like, know, so it's a third of the production. We'd, we'd shot most of we'd shot most of Sharp's rifles. We'd shot the big set shot pieces. All of rifles. Right, we'd shot you know a, a, maybe an episode and a half. So when Sean went out, you know, I mean, you guys know all this stuff, but uh, maybe maybe people listening don't. But you know uh, what was unusual and what Sean went through, um, like I say, a couple of months back when I saw him, um, we spoke of it. Is of course they had to effectively drop him into sequences that we had already shot. Mm. Uh, he was being dropped because they couldn't afford to remount it. Um, you know, they'd blown the stuff up or they'd filmed battle sequences. But um, he, Sean actually is in reverses. It's Sean's face. But whoever's shooting the scene is actually playing with me. So, so um, I'm, a, in that first episode, I'm a kind of ghost through, throughout it. I watched it go out that first oh, I was going to ask if you did. And, I, did and you? I'm watching it go on. I'm actually in the room there. I'm actually in that. They, they didn't reshoot the whole thing. Yeah. They, they simply dropped Sean into some of my close-ups. So he's playing. That, that had to happen at certain. They arrived at the same time that Sean arrived. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I, I but, but uh, funny enough, the, uh, the girl who was playing then, Teresa, uh, we had the same agent and we were friends. And so she oh, was, strange. of course, very, very, you know, like, oh, okay, well, good luck. She was very disappointed, you know, because she could perfectly, you know, have it, you know, the role with, uh, 
with I don't know why they 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 decided to change to change also uh, her. Um, they said well, that, that yeah, there was much or I don't know. A, it was a bit of a purge, wasn't it? Um, you know, people lost ah. their, their their roles. You know, uh, I don't know. She she was she was sad for a long time, and I you know I oh, was bad. like, oh, you know, but I'll see that. Are you sure? Because you know, but you something you're a really hard bastard. No, I I, I, <laughs> I remember I remember they were telling me and you're big. <laughs> they were telling me just, in a good way. <laughs> there is a height thing because you and Sean are around the same height, and Diana Penyalva and uh, Paul are a little smaller, and they're about mm. the same height. I mean, that was it, really. It wasn't. It yeah, was nothing perhaps was her that. fault. I mean, the only purge that happened was of of the director Jim Goddard. Jim left, didn't he? he was, yeah, that was yeah. the that was the purge, really. And um, me, Paul, I wouldn't go oh. back to all the tea in fucking China. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Well, we I'm had talking- a question from Robert Pedders who said, why did Brian Cox leave? He was great as Major Hogan. Well, do you want me to tell you? Yes. Because I'll tell you, I hated the show. Yeah. I absolutely hated the conditions that we were in. We were made to work in the most awful conditions. We didn't have a proper stuntman. We had horses. There were trip wires. We had all kinds of stuff, which was totally unsafe. Mm. The, the, the production was incredibly, in my opinion, very, very badly prepared. We had a staunching cast, a wonderful cast, a wonderful group of players who were taken advantage of, quite frankly. And also what really annoyed me more than anything else was how the Ukrainian uh, army was treated. The fact that they were on a dollar a day and the worst kind of conditions imaginable, which I, I couldn't, I couldn't. And in the end, I just couldn't go back. All my socialist principles were totally against what was going on, the exploitation of what was going on. And I, I decided that I'd had it. I said, if you move to anywhere else but the Ukraine, then perhaps I will join you. But I would never go back to the Ukraine, not with those conditions, which were truly, truly appalling. I mean, people were nearly killed. And this is, you know, Probably. Gavin broke his leg. I mean, it was, it was very dangerous, a lot of what was going on. And well, of course, the, 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 because I was the older person there, Goddard thought I was a ringleader. And I said, Jim, it's got to be safe. You know, we've got a, an injured uh, sharp. We've got to take care of people. We can't go on the way we're going on. And finally, they brought a stuntman out. When Sean came, they, they brought in a stuntman. But the conditions were truly appalling. 
And the food, I mean, there was no food. I mean, the thyroid thistle, as I call Muir, he used to come in and say, oh, well, boys, it's okay. I've got some wine. We've got some red wine. And I said, well, fuck the red wine. What about food? You know, we need fucking food rather than red wine. No, it was, uh, I, I'm still, I still get quite angry about it. And I was particularly angry about the way that man was treated, the way Paul was treated. Mm. I really thought it was shoddy beyond belief. Because remember, Dr. What's-His-Name, you know, the, the guy yeah. used to live at the Duggan Place. He flew out. Do you remember Dr. Paul? Dr. Gaynor. Dr. Yeah. Gaynor, he flew out. And uh, I don't know, he was just sort of, you know, saying, oh, it's all fine, it's all okay. And it clearly wasn't fine. It clearly wasn't okay. Mm. No, I, th I think the conditions were really bad. And it's a shame because I loved playing that part. I adored that character because he, yes. he was off on his own. He had a sort of kind of strange kind of craziness about him. And I loved it. I didn't want to give it up. But the conditions were just too bad. And I, I, didn't, and I didn't feel that they were going to get better all that quickly, quite frankly. Mm. Were they better <laughs> when you went back, guys? The guys that did go back, did it improve? Marginally, yes. But, <laughs> but they yes, had the same... diplomatic of you. Marginally, yes. Yeah, David. <laughs> Go on, David. Well, when we... Before we went back out to reshoot and, you know, carry on, we had a, a, a meeting with Equity, do you remember? In, and one of the things was to get proper drinking water. Yeah. Um, and then when we got out there, we were presented with crates of Irish drinking water, but <laughs> the cell by date had expired. <laughs> what? So they obviously got cheap water because the cell by date was well gone. That was, it all ran out very quickly. It did, yeah. I have to ask Assumpta what it was like to be one of the only women around. I know there were women on the crew, but it was vastly a male environment, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I remember fighting about, you know, about, as, as I always do, about, you know, the dignity of women, because it really was an object of desire. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I wanted really, you know, to have an army and, you know, and do things and, and you know, to have this honor of the Spanish people. And I, I you know, I, I always, you know, was fighting with a director who, who really actually, I don't know if that is all of you, the, the same impression than me. He was really moved when, you know, he was capable of moving a lot of people. But when there was like two people in the scene, he was just bored, <laughs> you know. And so I was like, what's going on with that guy? You know, he doesn't like actors. He doesn't like people. And so I was like saying to him, you know, no, this woman has to be, you know, you know, because it represents his pain and, you know, I cannot have, you know, uh, not, you know, what, what she was fighting for. And, you know, I always more scenes of me fighting and me, and, um, and it was a, a big discussion. I remember, remember a love scene that, that actually I refused to say the words that they were in the page. And so I, I, I said to Sean, Sean, please help me please, Sean, please, please, Sean. And he was like, you know, I go, oh, well, okay. <laughs> so, he, <laughs> you know. It's all right, something, you know. And he, what was the score? Yeah, yeah, how, how bad was the dialogue then on that page that you didn't want to say it? Well, yeah, it was very bad because it was like the, the woman, you know, that uh, the, again and again I was saying the same phrases, you know. 
And and I was I, I was trying to say something about love that actually made interest, you know. And is it the scene that's in the forest? The, the scene in the forest, which yes, which is really great. Yeah, yeah. Finally, finally, we got it. We got it. He's right, like, right. yes, it is because I stood my ground. <laughs> no, no, but what did you do? Did you did you fix it? Rewrite it? What did you yeah, do? I've rewrite it, and then you know, I I just talked to to Sean, and we re- rewrote it a little bit more, um, you know, and then then well, the director said yes but you know it was always a fight always a fight of of having this woman strong you know to having other things to do that uh you know that was also related to work instead of you know being the love interest of uh of sean mm. but um yeah I, I, it was also interesting because at that time in my life you know i i i was a little bit um well without really love and so you know i had all these well these men to show from to, to choose from <laughs> and, and so, you chose scott well was, no, I, I, gotta, I, I, gotta, I gotta tell you a story about that <laughs> jason is one of the, the sweetest and most loving people i've probably ever worked with and when he knew i'd got entwined with it no no you're a you're a salt of the earth mate. when he knew i got entwined with us sometime he kind of came up to me one day and he went scott watch yourself all right <laughs> Oh, Jason has gone bright red. No, 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 no. It's, I have. It's, I have. No, but no, Jason. It came from the it came from the best place imaginable. Yes. I know, I know, and I know it did. There's, there's really, <laughs> really. And look, no, because you were wrong. <laughs> Ish, but I wanted to. No, no, it. but it made you more keen on investigating. So in a way, yeah, that's it, right. It was, yeah. it was reverse psychology. Yeah, and yes. it's all in my book, by the way. Okay. Uh, do you know what? Yeah, this this will come as a massive surprise to everybody listening to the fourth part of these sharp podcasts. Jason, are you writing a book? Actually, funny you said I have, but uh, something I have discovered and um, I've been doing. I've been getting into a bit of harm now. Ah, uh, okay. It's not self harm. It's uh, it's a little book by someone we know. Oh. Yeah, so it's a multi But but also a book I've read and I've reread, which should have been a guide to us all on Sharp. Diane Cox, Salem to Moscow. Moscow. Yeah, Salem to. And I don't know why, Brian. You should have been our uh, consultant. But it's wonderful because Brian, there are so many things you and I have experienced and written together. Um. Like meeting that guy Craig Copertus, the journalist. Oh, on, ah, yeah, and and on the way and on the way to Moscow, I met uh, Ben Burt, uh, Ben Brown of BBC, who was on his way to being the Moscow correspondent. I had the same sort of conversations. Um, the uh, the bit where you talk about, you allude to the night at the opera when you're rehearsing in that place in the, in the Muhats little theatre, and you mm. say rehearsing in there is like a scene from the night in the opera. Mm-hmm. Well, I make the same sort of So many, many things. I was chuckling away at the things we experienced. But you should have been our consultant. You should have warned us even more about what we're supposed to go. We're about to go through. Well, of course, I, I hadn't been to the Ukraine, and uh, I hadn't experienced. And that was the other thing: is the poverty. I mean, seeing people selling things. I don't know if you remember. You used to go down to the town square, and people would be selling their belongings for. Uh, a meager pittance. I mean, I bought a carpet there, you know, and I, and I kind of feel guilty about it. I bought a carpet there for, for about four quid, which yeah. would be normally worth about 300 quid. I mean, it was just, and, I, and I, I really didn't like what it did to me. I didn't like that we were in this privileged situation, but it wasn't all that privileged because the food was, you know, well, we've all talked about that. 
But the, the fact that there was, you know, inflation was something like 4,000% in the Ukraine at that time. So all of that impinged on the whole conditions of working. And I just felt that Malcolm and Muir were just exploiting the situation for all it's worth. And, I, and also not taking care, enough care of their actors. And also I was very tragic. I thought that Jimmy Goddard, who's a director I had worked with and who I thought was, an, who I did think, was an immensely talented director. I didn't feel the same way about Tom Clegg. In fact, I think I agree with the Sumter that it was very hard when, for instance, Paul and I had this wonderful scene together, which was very funny. It was a funny scene that we'd already filmed. And then I filmed it with Sean, and Sean was fine. But Clegg didn't understand it. He yeah, didn't yeah, understand yeah, yeah. the nuance of it. And he that didn't was get it. He, he didn't, didn't get, get he, he didn't get the love for actors, the, no, the love he, for I, women. I was, I was completely, I just thought, who is this guy? You know, I know he's got a reputation. And I was, it was sad about Jim because if Jim was on a, a downward spiral, you know, doing vodka, vodka slammers with your guys in the evening, you know, and I, I mean, which is fine, you know, okay. But I, it, it, the conditions were just too much, really, too much. And, uh, and then, of course, everybody who didn't come, like Bill Patterson, who was supposed to always signed up to do further episodes, and then the I deals about all that. And then just the whole business of how Paul was treated. I think Paul was treated appallingly, absolutely appallingly. He should have been paid a lot of money for what went on, and he, didn't do, he wasn't paid nearly enough. Mm. I, don't know, I don't know what happened with this thing. I'm sorry if, I, but if it's for another... Um, uh, there was a court case. Time, but um, what happened, Paul, then? You had, like, a, a lawsuit? And... Yeah, eventually there would be, um, well, not only a lawsuit. I think, I'm, I think I'm right in saying, maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but this might be the, certainly the longest or the longest-running lawsuit of its kind. What it was is it was the most expensive insurance claim in British television history. First of That's all, it. it became yeah, yeah. Um, and it it went to court in 1996 in the summer of 96 in between the fourth and the fifth years. So that's that's how long it took four years to and it wasn't just you. It was the it was Bill Patterson, Patrick Malahide, and the cast of Sharps Gold. All it was of that. Also, yeah, also supposed to shoot on that first year. They didn't. They weren't paid. They were contracted to go. Yeah. And so it was, a, it was a general equity lawsuit for all of those issues. So aside from, you know, these were, these were separate things, weren't they? You know, aside from my injury, everything, everything became part of one large court case, which in the end was settled, wasn't it? It was settled out of court. Um, as these I mean, things... I, went, I went along to speak to Ian Mulkis, the equity lawyer, and yeah. naively I signed something. And I got a, a summons to appear in court uh, for you guys uh, a few days later. And that was shortly before I was going to negotiate my contract for the fifth year. <gasps> and so I was cut out of two episodes and I was killed for my troubles. But there you go. That's part of a great story. All in my well, book. I, I was never approached about any of this stuff at all, legally or anyway. Nobody ever, and I kept saying, couldn't I go and tell somebody about the conditions? Nobody got in touch with me. Absolutely nobody. You know, I, found, I find that extraordinary. I mean, absolutely nobody got in touch with me about it. And I kept thinking, what's happening? What's happening? Of course, I'm, and then by then I'd moved on to other stuff. In fact, by then I think, right, certainly by 96, I was already living here in the States. But I was yeah. so... 
it was a tough call. I mean, it's, it's a great series. There's no question about it. It's a, it's a tremendous series, and it was a tremendously well done. But the cost, the initial cost was huge. It was huge to, you know, just self-respect apart from anything else. Or being in that situation, seeing those poor Ukrainian soldiers, you know, I mean, you know, eating that slop that you used to eat every day and getting a dollar a day. I just thought, what is this? What's going on here? You know, this, this is not fair. And then watching this very brilliant director, him getting worse and worse, and clearly he was not in a good state anyway. But he could direct. There's no question he could direct. Jason, I've got to ask you, Jordan Loudermilk has heard a rumour that you're going to have to put to bed. Did you use Voltaire to wipe your ass for a lack of toilet paper? Funny you should say that. Um, <laughs> no, but the, obviously there's a scene in Sharp Sword where I have to uh, search for a book to break a code. Simerson comes in, asks me why I'm looking for the book, and I say, I want to wipe my bum, sir. I want to wipe my sir. So... But I wish I'd had a copy of Voltaire because the toilet paper we had in the Crimea when we first arrived was worse than the stuff, worse yeah. than the stuff we scratched our bum holes on in primary school. Oh, really? The paper with the shiny side? Yes, the actual. Oh. No observancy, just redistribution. <laughs> Speaking of Simerson, uh, Jay Lees wants to ask Hugh Fraser, who did you enjoy bollocking more, incompetent officers like Simerson or Sharp? Oh, Michael Cochran, definitely. <laughs> I have to ask you, Jason held up a copy of your fiction book. I have yes. to say, because this, this is, makes me laugh so much. So Jason has read it, but he cannot, when, with the sex stuff, he hears it in your voice and it freaks him out. <laughs> <laughs> he goes and, why right exactly, and, what, and why exactly was the Texas women prison guy wearing crotchless panties underneath her uniform? Don't tell me the end. Don't tell me the end. Don't spoil it. I haven't read oh, it. No, 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 no. <laughs> but it, but it's, it's wonderful because it's, um, it's, it's split between 1950s North Kensington, which is my hood, which is where I drive through every single day. It's and split being the operative word. And, <laughs> and 1974 uh, Acapulco, where she's a hit, hit woman. It's a wonderful story. Everyone out there, go and buy it. And go and buy Brian Cox's book as well. In fact, you know, there are five sharp authors. There's Brian Cox, Julian Fellows, Hugh Fraser, Tim Bentick, and Ali Byrne. And I'm and Asunta Serna. And Asunta Serna, excuse me. <laughs> oh, Paul, David, get on it. And Brian, get on it. Okay. No, no, sorry, Brian, you're already an author. Sorry, sorry. I'll start tonight. <laughs> well, it's very interesting because Asunta's been working for the, tirelessly for the past 10 years to put together a code of ethics and good practices in film and television in Spain. Yes, and, I, and I can't say it wasn't slightly influenced by what happened. Of course. And because we, we find ourselves in positions, I find myself in a position in, in doing a film in Colombia where um, they, the, first, the lead of the movie was an eight-year-old girl and her first day of work was 14 hours. And the second day was 12 hours. And the point is, what do you do? What do you do? Do you, do you just say, say, unless you fix this, I'm not going to work? I mean, then you're, you're the asshole. I mean, it's, it's very tricky. Yeah, so we did this uh, code of good practices for, I don't know, since 19, I think, I don't know, 2006. We started sometime in the late 17th yes. century. <laughs> but yeah, we have now fifth institutions that they are also pushing it over, pushing it to everyone and trying to, to get a little bit more decency. Because yes, Brian, we, we, it's, uh, it's just a tough thing to do it alone uh, because you get so little sometimes, you know. Well... Uh, 
my my advice is be an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> that's my advice. Be an asshole. They're not you enough. Have to get t-shirts made with There's that. Too one. many of us that put up with too much. Actors are wonderful. They'll put up with anything. They really will. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time that we just and I. And I've been an asshole most of my life, and it hasn't done me any harm. <laughs> you will be pleased to know, that, uh, Brian, that from then on, Darrow was this, the total revolutionary militant leader. So anytime anything was uh, gone wrong, Darrow would steam in. And we yes. had another revolution on the third year where the water got cut off. And we had a, another strike, and we called it the Chernomori Water Action. Um, so, yeah, we, we carried on the revolutionary spirit that you started, Brian. <laughs> What's happened with Dara? He's, he's right now, he's in Portugal uh, live, uh, on holiday. He, he, he wanted to come in tonight, but uh, he, he was on holiday and wouldn't have the bandwidth. But we're going to try and get him in again at some point. But well, I'll, Darrow, I'll, I'll pass on his, your greetings. And also, Lyndon says hi, Paul Trussell says hello, and Michael Mears says hello as well to everyone. But Dara, after we shot in India, uh, Dara started a charity for underprivileged children in India. An amazing, an amazing really? thing. Yeah. Sharp's children. Sorry? Sharp's Children. Sharp's Children, that was it, yes. All credit to him. Brilliant Unfortunately, initiative. it folded within a year. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, dear, it's a shame. There you go. That's, no, because some massive funding fell through. He was promised uh, some massive funding and it fell through. Yeah. But Dara's doing well. He's doing well. He's, uh, yeah, I, I talked to him quite a few, uh, quite a lot. Good. Say hi to me to Paul. I will. I will, absolutely. And he will hear this too, but I absolutely will. Absolutely. <laughs> I have to, um, Hugh, someone did ask, what was it like to be cast again as Wellington for the Indian stuff after you had left, or, or so long after the ones before? Uh, it, it was great. Um, the, I only wish I could say the same for the nose, which had, uh, had gone AWOL. Um, uh, because at, at the end of each season, I would always say, please don't lose the nose, because getting, as, as David has alluded to, getting the nose fitted and made was a real trial and then getting it put on every time. So by the time we finally got it right, I would say, please do not let the nose go. Every single time it went AWOL, they could never find it again. But so, I was going to blame Sean because Sean appeared to pinch everything off the really? set. His yeah. whole basement in his house, apparently. Mm-hmm. My theory was that they never, they always only contracted the nose for one season. Instead of putting it on <laughs> an open-ended contract, and it, when it came back the next time, it asked for too much money. So they said, no. Actually, someone did ask, um, because it has become a bit of a running joke on the podcast, how much stuff Sean pinched. He did ask for the sword. We have to say he didn't steal the sword. He did get permission. Um, Did any of you other guys make off with anything when filming was done? I was just thinking it should be called Nose Majeure. Um. (laughs) I I don't remember. I did buy, though, these these bells from from the Russian... uh... Well, I remember walking down the the beachfront in Yalta, and the guy said, do you want to buy a belt? And I go, one like that? And he goes, yes. And I gave him some money, and he he took off his own... That's it. He took off his own belt and walked away, holding up his his trousers and quite, quite happy. Yeah, that, it's, it is one of the most bittersweet things, and, I, and I'm completely with Brian in this. I shot a film in, in Nigeria uh, once, where you have to go look. Forget about me. It's everybody else who's who's having a terrible. T- you know, somebody's going to get killed, or somebody's going to get you know in a in the hospital, or end up terribly sick, and it's not worth it. We're not curing cancer. Mm. You know, it's still, I didn't steal anything. 
Um, I don't remember stealing things. I do, I do steal things, you know, but um, I don't remember <laughs> Being an actress, things. of course, it comes with it. <laughs> I do steal, I suppose, towels. Yes, that's, uh, <laughs> that's the old one. I recommend Le Bristol in Paris. <laughs> yes, wonderful. So you, you stole hearts. Uh, yes, that's, what that's true. <laughs> uh, Brian oh, Cox, I want to ask you something uh, about the icons you bought in the icon shop in Yalta. Do you remember? Yeah. Yes, I did. Did you ever bring them back to, to, to be valued or anything? I did. They're in storage somewhere in London because I've moved around so much subsequently. You know, I, I, I'm still in the process of trying to decide where I live. At the moment, I'm upstate New York, you know, which is lovely because I've been here for the whole uh, the whole. Uh, COVID thing. And I just discovered the other day that I've had COVID. Oh, no. oh if you got antibodies. Yeah, and I've got the antibodies. Wow. Uh, I had COVID and I've got the antibodies. And I didn't even know I had COVID, but I have it. And I had it. And I think I now know because I had these, I asked the doctor, I said, well, I don't think I had it. I said, oh, and I remember in December, I had a, I came back to the UK and uh, around about December 9th, December 10th, and I was feeling a little and I, I sneezing I was doing a lot of sneezing and then I got very tired and she said and nobody's told me that COVID one of the symptoms of COVID is sneezing this was December so I, I I just feel that it's been around a lot longer than people are owning up for um yeah so no here- my iPhones I miss but uh, they're in storage somewhere as I said oh, right. so I, t- I bought one a small one took it to Sotheby said oh it's a fake <laughs> so, <laughs> that I would be your... part of the course, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But no, I I didn't steal anything. But I came away with a wife and child from Sharp. It's true. So, you stole yeah. also some hearts here. <laughs> well, just one. He took one, them to Sotheby's, one. and they were actually proven to be completely authentic. <laughs> My I'm wife says quite I a lot, take... actually. <laughs> I do. And people will not forgive me if I don't do a little bit of Hornblower crossover because we did have Yoan Griffith and Jamie Bambron to talk about Hornblower, and obviously you guys had a blast. So it was kind of because we talked about Paul's horrible injury in the first sharp one. Then we had the Hornblower one, which was like Paul's happy ending, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah, because you got Happy to the ending. You make, you make it sound like a sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> but it, you did go to get, get to wear a cool uniform and things exploding and having yeah, and, that's it, and run run around firing guns and shout me head off. Yeah, eventually. Yeah. I was on two of them, and we were we we never went. They went to Yalta at one point. Because yeah, because uh, they like to bitch that the, the shot bizarre. I, did, I never wanted to see Yalta again, but but they. They, we went to uh, Menorca um, for the summer and Cornwall. The two I was on were in, uh, were in Britain. Uh, oh, in, the destitution. I know. I know. <laughs> I, know. I know, the poverty. And the backwards place. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but they were great to work on, you know, just... just are, are they part of the same cinematic universe? Uh, is it established that they live in the same world? Who? What? Lauren Sharp? It sounds as if, yeah. I, I mean, chronologically they do, yeah. But Mar- as uh, Marcus and Zach spend most of their lives arguing with the boat people mm. about whether Hornblower is better than Sharp and whether the army stuff is better than the Navy. But yeah, the Hornblower stuff starts in 1793, doesn't it? So all deprivations aside and that. Brian, what, what's your fondest memory on Sharp? Well, I think it's the initial thing of getting there, uh, the rehearsal and getting to, you know, when we arrived, it was all seemed very exciting, you know, and I was very pleased to be working with my 
Fran McGann, you know, I was delighted to be working with him and I thought, wow, this is going to be really great. And uh, there was a lot of humor around, you know, we, and the great, oh, and you know what the great thing is about Sharp for me? That I discovered that Paul McGann and I were secret ABBA adorers. But we both, one night in our hotel rooms, we exchanged the fact that we secretly loved ABBA. Yeah, we did. We've been lifelong friends ever since. I can still still hear you saying perfect pop, perfect pop. (laughs) I can still hear you saying it. Paul, did you, before it all went wrong, Likewise, I remember you and me, Brian. We arrived at Moscow Airport together. You know, we must we, we flew out together. Yeah. Um, and I remember waiting at the car, you know, coming out into the airport, waiting at the carousel. Um, again, did I dream this? Or did you have a bit of gym equipment coming around? I did. On the, I, I didn't dream it. Thank God for that. No, I did. It was like a stairmaster or something going around on the thing. Anyway, but um, but obviously your reputation had gone before you because you had you got a round of applause from the local fellas in the, in the airport. Yeah. And I'm, I remember thinking, this is going to be great. <laughs> they all recognized me from my many, many yeah. journeys that yeah. I made. When I, when I first went to Moscow, I was the o- my bag was the only bag that was circulating, apart from, <laughs> bag, apart from a bag that was due to go to Karachi. And it was yeah. always the same Karachi bag. But I just remember we laughed. We laughed there. We carried on laughing. You know, laughed was, a lot. It was a hoot. You know, and eventually the humor became blacker and blacker and blacker, as, as was necessary. But, you know, I'd like to remember that. It was a, it was a hoot. It was a well, laugh when we were there. That you know. was the fondness. The fondness was the yeah. laughter. And we had, so, you know, with everybody, Jason and the guys and everybody, and we, we just had a very, very lovely time. In that we way. did. We, you know, we bonded quickly and, and there were, you know, there were things to do and it was an adventure. Um, you know, and we enjoyed it till it went wrong. And we made up funny names like we called uh, Simple or Awful, Simply Awful. Yes, <laughs> I remember that. that too, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> obviously, apart from meeting Scott, uh, yes, well, apart from meeting Scott, well, that changed my life. Um, apart from that, um, well, I think, you know, to work with the British actors like that in general, in the sense that, you know, I was working with French actors before, Italian, you know, also American, but I never really had the chance to work with British actors. And I, I really, you know, I was delighted to be with them because, you know, they had this lightness, this sense of humor, this, uh, you know, this wonderful uh, camaraderie between them, you no? Know? And, and it was something for me very refreshing, no? And I, the British I remember- nicknames for each other. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. This, darling, 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 all the time. <laughs> so for me, we see British actors love to play being British actors. Yeah. It's a very amusing role to play. It's very amusing. Don't you think so, darling? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, darling. Drinks like a fish, marvelous definition. <laughs> exactly that that thing, and so, I know it was this lightness of this lightness of being, you know. And then the opportunity also to see. You know, to see uh, Russia, you know, in two different ways. The first year was totally different uh, than what I found the next the next year. Uh, by the way, I remember that it was killed. Our producer, no, the Russian local producer was killed. Remember that? There was um, a set construction guy had a heart attack up on Dimaji and and died on the way down. I don't know about no, anyone. The the, the 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 director of the production. The, the production manager. The production manager there, the Russian guy, was killed. And, you know, we arrived there the second year hearing that. That's what I, 
I, yeah. I heard. Wasn't him. wasn't there wasn't the guy who was didn't the Georgian mafia or the Chechen yes. mafia walk yes. in and shoot the guy exactly the, running the running the, uh, the 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 whole place the sanatorium exactly. the sanatorium exactly and that's why we had to go to another yes. hotel. Now, that yes. happened. It, that happened between the first and the second year. The yes. guy was shot. Yeah, that's why we went to go to the the Chernomori right. Sanatorium. Yeah. Yes. Well, these changes, you know, the changes of, a, of an entire country and the people and how that affected. I remember Oleg Vidov, who was our translator there, and you know, was really convinced the first year about you know uh, about Russian, about you know their po political system, and then the second year he was really afraid and, and you know and very shut down, you know. So you know things like that, how that affects people, you know, the, the context that you are in, the political context. Uh, th those are these two main things I remember. Scott, and oh God, there's there's so many things uh, apart from me sometimes, obviously, because our horses fell in love with each other first. My horse had one eye and 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 went. <laughs> oh, and, and, did you, and, sorry, did you have Bolta? Was your probably. horse Bolta? Bolta. With, yeah, with one eye. Yeah, I was my horse. Yeah, well, there was, there was, there was they, that. they were falling in love, and so we had this this scene that we had to actually say something, and he was very pretty sad. I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. sorry. My horse seems to be sort of somewhat aroused by yours. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Apologies. I'm so sorry. I was really laughing. Um, that that and spending four hours in a bell tent, inventing a game about throwing coat hangers on a on a clothes rail. I mean, like a whole road. I think Jason started to take right. Okay, let's just work out the rules here. Um, that, the other thing, like something like Sharp, it gives you the opportunity because you're dressed exactly, you know, exactly as it was back then. And you're in bell tents, which have been the same for hundreds of years. And we're on a plateau and sitting on a plateau surrounded by all of this, you have this tiny little moment where you can travel in time, mm -hmm. which is divine, which you don't normally get the chance to do um, unless you're the doctor like Paul. Um, so the, there was that, that, and also when we were attacking Badahoff, I got blown up twice because the first AD put some background, you know, action in front of me. So I walked over two explosions, fell off the hill on fire. And as I was patting off, I was like, this is a bloody good story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just, just the absolute camaraderie. But the best thing was arriving first day in Simferopol. And the first person who greeted me was Pete Postlethwaite, who handed me um, uh, a jazz cigarette <laughs> and said, welcome me. And Jason was like that. And it was just, I mean, it was very much Band of Brothers stuff. I mean, yeah. it was just, um, it was, I mean, it was, I mean, I was there for a relatively short, short amount of time. The funny thing is the first the first thing I, my first line in, in Sharp's company is Ciudad Rodrigo is taken and we have worked so much in Ciudad Rodrigo, that place that were the first sieges in that episode. So I know that I know Ciudad Rodrigo. I now speak Spanish. I spend, I've worked for 20 years in Spanish and it, it's so funny because the names of, of the people who are, who are peppered throughout Sharp, they're on the walls of, of Ciudad Rodrigo, of that, of that city. I mean, then look, come on. It's yeah. 20, 27 years later, and here we are. Yeah, that's nice. It's pretty it's incredible. incredible. <laughs> the, um, the love <laughs> the possible thing that comes out from everyone who worked with him on anything that we've done on our podcast is amazing. Um, Hugh, what about you? Uh, well, apart from, as has been referred to, having a laugh, which is always the best part of any acting job, mm -hmm. and Sharp was particularly good from that point of view, 
there was a moment when um, I came off the set. We just finished shooting for the day, and um, I was about to get in the get in the car. And Dinny Powell, the stunt leader, the stunt coordinator, uh, said, "You c- come over here." And um, I'd noticed some horses before. They were in, there were some horses in a field, all looking a bit underfed and manky, and you know, a bit dodgy. And um, he said, "I've got something to show you." And out from this tent came this incredible-looking black stallion. I mean, with a with a with a wonderful polished saddle on it and a great, you know, tackle and all the rest of it. And he said, "This is uh, Copenhagen, which is Wellington's horse." Mm-hmm. And um, he helped me up onto it, and uh, I went, you know, for a little bit of a ride around on it. And it was just—it it felt fantastic. It really, it was—it was a great moment. Mm. As it's someone's okay. reference, apparently in a museum somewhere, there's a Wellington, apparently somewhere in a museum, there's a Waterloo Museum, there's a statue of Wellington that they've modelled on you. Is that creepy really? for you? Yeah. Really? It came in in a question. Apparently there's a Waterloo Museum and they've modelled it on you. I think that's the one in, in, in Wellington's headquarters in Waterloo, Belgium. Really? I think it could be. Yeah. yeah. Good. Have you sure it's no Stephen Fry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dueling with cannon is still an excellent idea. <laughs> David, what about you? Well, talking of horses, I've got exactly the opposite memories. Of <laughs> <laughs> I remember Brian getting bitten on the boot. Do you remember, Brian, when we were in the Battle of Talavera watching? Yeah. And we were sitting on a horse for about six hours. And you're, I think, the one next to you, because they were from different stables, weren't they? So they didn't like each other anyway, and they were treated appallingly, as you said. No, terrible. Um, and uh, one of them bit you on the foot. And you, I remember, I mean, I'm telling it against you, but it was very funny at the time. <laughs> you got off in a rage, walked up a lane for about half a mile, came back, you, you slammed your sword back in its scabbard, and in the scene, you had to get your sword out to point at the dusty ground. And um, you'd slammed it in so hard you couldn't get it out. That was, that was a good memory. And then the opening shot of Sharp's Rifles is Wellington gently walking through the camp, establishing shot with two hunting dogs beside him. The only way I could get them to follow me was to have a loaf of bread in the saddle and just gently chuck out little bits of bread so that they would follow the horse. <laughs> and then I remember the whole troop of um, guardsmen went, attention! And every time, there were about six takes, the horse went backwards. It wouldn't go past these men. And that was my opening filming day in Sharp. I thought this is going to be good. <laughs> After three and a half hours of having your nose stuck on. That's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, as you know, as everyone said, it was, it was a great time. The evenings were, um, yeah, quite riotous. Yeah, there have been a few questions about that because I think that's kind of known, saying yeah. what, what was the, the best uh, after-filming anecdote you well, had. Yeah, because of the dangers of the day, I think everyone took to the bottle <laughs> in a relief that they'd survived another day of filming. Yeah, I think as well. Uh, to eat. Yeah, <laughs> so on an empty stomach as well. Yeah. Uh, well. Pot noodles. I cannot look at a pot noodle now. 
<laughs> and also they had very nice uh, nuts in that um, Moscow hotel bar on the fifth floor. They had little German nuts. I remember yes, eating those. We all went to a Chinese restaurant in that hotel, didn't we? And the Chinese restaurant menu was Bush. <laughs> there was nothing Chinese about it. Uh, Bless them. Oh, Brian's getting angry just thinking about it. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm just. I'm getting willfully nostalgic. Yeah, he was. He was actually thinking of punching that horse. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. The uh, one of the anecdotes that came out about being in the hotel was Daniel Craig smashing up Lyndon's alarm clock. We've uh, established that Daniel Daniel owes six or five ninety nine to Lyndon for breaking his alarm clock. Because apparently, we're hoping that Daniel it. will come on a podcast and sort it all out at yeah. some point. <laughs> <laughs> dream on, dream on. Yeah. I remember being also grumpy about about the lines. I mean, I remember I was like, no, but come to me. No, no, come to me. I mean, I, I can have the phone. No. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I actually saw Sumta, she was sitting, like all, all the all the van smelled of diesel. I mean, yeah, that's what they did. And Sumta, she did, she, she, she took out a fresh packet of, golden packet of B&H, she unrolled the cellophane and just threw it out the window. And I kind of went and clutched my pearls. Yeah. <laughs> that is the woman for me. And she kind of went, what? And I was like, well, nothing really, I suppose. And I said, and I said, where, I said, afterwards, after we've been shooting all day, I said, so where do you live or something? She said, um, I live in uh, Madrid, Paris in Los Angeles. How about you? Without, no not like this is it was just a statement of fact it was yeah, just yeah. you know it was just you like, went marry me i said i live in, I, li I live in dulwich <laughs> <laughs> the clues in the question it's it's exactly what it says on the tin you know brilliant brilliant yeah I have also an anecdote about Elizabeth Harley, but let's let's. Uh, oh no! Let's. <laughs> let's uh, we'll do that next time, Asunta. We'll do another one. Don't worry. We'll do another one. Oh, yeah. I think but we all have an anecdote. anecdote the best anecdote we've had on Liz yes, so far was Sean saying um, that uh, apparently, she, no, it was you, Jason. You said that yeah. she came onto the chosen men floor and just said, "Sean Bean doesn't fancy me. I don't." Yeah. Do In fact, Scott was there. It was when we were when we were all chilling out on the floor, and she rolled along. But you know, it was purely professional because she she knew she had to appeal too sharp in the scene so she was just worrying about that so it's purely professional yeah i've never met a person who was capable of flirting with furniture <laughs> <laughs> she was you know what i mean like, like so she'd be like like this is my thermos mug she'd be like hello you know <laughs> But it was great fun, wasn't it, Scott? Oh, it absolutely was. Oh, oh I mean, no, Liz, Liz, Liz is kind of like, um, you know, it's like, which dimension did you drop in from? It's, it was extraordinary. I just have to check quickly that um, the two boys are so excited to have both Wellingtons here. Guys, is there anything you want to ask David or Hugh while they're here? Because you've got a pair of wellies. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Good name for the podcast. I don't know. I, I wonder if they've done any reading, you know, before and after. They kind of uh, how, how much they've uh, had a bit of an impact on them uh, getting to portray because they're, they're really famous portrayals that you both uh, done. They're still kind of held up. So oh, how how were they labelled? You said so, and including Christopher Plummer. Which ones? Which label was for who? So one was Angry Wellington. Oh, that was me. So I reckon Christopher Plummer um, captures kind of smug Wellington brilliantly. <laughs> Um, throughout that that whole kind of Waterloo sequence, particularly when there are the exchanges with um, with Uxbridge, um, 
But David's got to be angry, Wellington. <laughs> yeah, completely. Um, and, and then day to day Wellington for for Hugh. Um, it's like just a kind of simmering. thinking about it, exactly and kind of how he kind of interacts with his staff and so on. Yeah, I have to say that these. So Marcus is a member of the 95th Rifles, the reenactors. Zach's doing a PhD in the period. And basically you lot ruined their lives because it was all off of shop that they've grown up watching. Um, and it's the reason they're going to be poorly paid historians and academics their entire life. Yeah, I, I now manage actually house because I watched too much, because I, I watched too much sharp as a kid. But <laughs> so. And neither of them care. They think it's great. They're not. Jason, do you still, do you, uh, Richard Moore, the, the technical advisor. What's his story these days? He was a very, very nice man and incredibly yeah. helpful and absolutely unflappable. I mean, some of those battle scenes, the chaos would be unimaginable. Yes. And he would be absolutely cool and just, you know, directing people in a really subtle and helpful way, a really nice mm-hmm. guy. Well, well, more than that, apart from teaching me how to, how to shave sideburns in, in the period style, you know how to do that, right? With the, the piece of string. Yeah, from, the, from, the, from the ear to the corner of the mouth and you shave underneath the string. Well, the, is, is there was a time when we were attacking Badajoz and we were like, and I sort of saw Richard was down there and he was, he was in, he was half, he was kind of half in a fire covered in, in muck and dust and everything like that. So you're right, Richard. He says, best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember sitting on the, on the walls of, of Badajoz and he said, excuse me, sir, would you care for a, would you care for a swallow? I said, uh, yeah, of course. So he took out this, this brandy flask and he handed it to me and I took a shot, took a slug of it and I handed it back to him and he went, this will be going into the diary. I want a drink on the walls of Badahoff with Lieutenant Price. <laughs> oh, brilliant. And so, I, I saw recently he, he, ha- he must have had stolen almost as much as uh, Sean Bean, but he's given his collection away to a fan and the fans moved to America. So sadly it's uh, far oh, re- Tim it had the um, the colours, the South Essex colours, and just a huge cabinets. Um, so he must have taken quite a lot, just like and more. Speaking of the battle scenes, one question that did get asked was, um, what was your oh shit moment during filming, where it just got a little bit too real? I got well, Natasha I, I, pregnant. You got Natasha <laughs> <laughs> That's when shit got real then, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember them going, Scott, so just keep walking forward and just going, steady, steady. Right, and he says, "Well, look, there's a there's a sort of medium-sized explosion where that twig is, and it's dark, and it's you know it's three o'clock in the morning, and there's a big one. Don't step on that." And I'm going like, "I have nothing to compare this to. What's a big one? What's a small one?" You know, <laughs> and so you start walking off. Now, what they did with the explosions is normally you you tamp the explosions; it goes into a little tin, so you can direct the charge. But and then you put peat on top of it, and that's what gives it its burn. But what they were doing was digging a hole, covering it in peat, so it just went everywhere. And that was the night that they tried to explore, impress everybody by doing the biggest explosion anybody had ever heard. It was, it was crazy. But the thing that happens is they go, all right, roll cameras and action. The explosions start going off. No acting necessary whatsoever. <laughs> Genuinely terrifying. And you're screaming at the top of your lungs to, to, to try and hold the line. And, this, and it's war as hell. What can I tell you? Yeah. Uh, pyrotechnics guys, a guy's called Gorby and Dima. Mm. And often when it was someone's birthday, the charges would be packed a little harder. And we were shooting at the end of the second series. We were shooting Sharp's Honor with David Atterton. Uh, David Atterton? Atterton. Anyway, and it was someone's birthday. And Richard Moore took a blast straight in his face. 
and almost lost an eye. But again, it was one of those, I am not the greatest day of my life because he was at the Battle of uh, Vittoria taking a shell in the face. You know, he was, was in ecstasies. Well, that, that picture you put on the Facebook page of me and Assumpta, because Assumpta wasn't working that night, but she came yeah. to set. All of that stuff on my face, that's not makeup. That's literally suit and from explosions. That's, that's what that all is. A little thing about uh, talking about the, the, I think, Russian stuntmen, I think they were. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were a couple of them on, on so we were doing a battle scene. And one of them fell off his horse. And as usual, of course, they didn't cut. They just carried on. And I saw him afterwards. And he was, he, 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 he'd hurt his hand. He'd, he'd, he'd come down on his hand. And I, I sort of kind of said, you know, you're okay. No, do it Just brushed it off and, and carried on. The next day, he came in and his hand was about the size of a football. I mean, it was really, really, really badly damaged. And he carried on and he just did the whole day as if nothing had happened. He, he, he hit his hand, you know, when, 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 it was, when it was going to be in shot. And I thought, oh, God, that is, that is courage. And just, and, and again, you know, no great, no, no attention was paid to him for it. So um, I, I had enormous respect for the, for the Russian. For the, for yeah, the, it came up in another podcast that, like, really, they, um, would, they would just throw themselves in and you guys yeah. would be saying, no, you don't actually need to, like, put yourself at danger and do that now, just do it during filming. But they were just lunatics. Well, I, I, well, I, I, I remember correcting them there weeks <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were like, you know, the weeks were all all over the place, and so I was like, hey, you know, no, no, because you know they are my man, and so I was like, please, please, please. Well, I remember having a couple of digs. At, I had to sort of like one of these big Russian dudes was was dressed as a Frenchman, and I had to sort of like parry a couple of shots and then kill him with a stroke across his his gut, and I was pulling pulling the sword the way you do because you're polite, and he was like, no, no, hit me, hit me. And I was like, but yeah, he said, I have padding, don't worry. And that's when I realized, and this is good for the historians, that a light cavalry saber is useless unless you poke somebody in the eye with it. You <laughs> concur. The only or thing the that's armpit. useful, it, it's, it's the armpit or basically that one of the Cossacks on the set, he said, this is how you fight, you know, like on a horse is you cut straight arm and the only thing you're aiming for is the top of the ear because you couldn't cut anything with it. I think I'm right, Zach can confirm it. I think that's the one the French tried to ban because it went so far actually through people when you got them. Whereas the heavy cavalry one was a, a pokier and this was a slasher. Well, the thing is, you can't, with a sword, you can't, that's, you why you got the, the, that's why you got the stripes. I mean, when you got the, 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 the straps, is because you can't, that's where the cut goes in, yeah. and you can't, and that's why you got the high collar because the cut comes in here. The, but the only you're thing. You're meant to be up on a horse for it. Um, I've, I've yeah, got a it's totally useless. And because of sharp, you just can't get a replica of the heavy cavalry sword because everybody wants sharp sword. Yeah, yeah. You would have been better Love off with a pointed money. stick. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have looked as cool, though. Well, I remember this powder, uh, that powder on my face all the time that I was shooting. And, you know, the, the only concern of the director was don't close your eyes. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I was like, okay, let's go again. The burning powder coming towards your face. What else are you going to do? I always loved the way that you or something, you walked like a man who'd been on a horse for six yeah, days. Yeah, I love that. You sort of like walked and you sat down with your sort of legs open. and. Yeah. Oh, wait, you mean she doesn't walk like that all the time? Well, sometimes she does, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> you asked for that one, I'm sorry. Oh, her face is just like, I will so fix you later. <laughs> you know something you forgot, Alex? Alex, what? is... um. 
is I know this, but I want the whole world to know this. Um, Hugh, it's true that you wrote the theme tune to Rainbow, the kids. Oh, you did. I co-wrote. Please don't co-wrote. Co-wrote it, or my my co-writers will will start suing me and and giving me terrible time. Yes, it's true. But you're but a bassist, the, aren't you, as well? Yeah, I do play bass, yeah. Now, is Rainbow woke-proof, or are we not allowed to watch it anymore? Or is it I, I don't think it's around anymore. Uh, it, it was, um, I think, when Thames Television was disbanded, you know, when they rejigged the franchises in the 90s, I think. Yeah. Um, it, it just got lost, I think. Uh, There's some serious bullying of, of anybody who has a zip for a mouth. That's, that can't stand. Really. Yeah, that's true. Not acceptable. In the current time. George was quite effeminate as well. Maybe it was forward thinking. Very that's intuitive. Tr- that's, tr- that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Since, uh, Hugh, since the co writers of the tune, they didn't go on to play uh, Wellington, so you're the man. True. Yeah, this yeah. is true. No, I mean, to be accurate, the tune was mine. <clears throat> it, was, it was arranged, the chords were put to it by, by the guitar player, and the, the, the singer wrote the, wrote the words. But the tune is the whole thing. That's all, man. It is the tune that makes it. And it's true, not like when everybody said that Ludovic Kennedy played the saxophone solo on Baker Street. That's not true. No. That was one of those great rumors before the internet. I did a gig with a sax player from Baker Street. Great guy, really, really great guy, brilliant sax player. I was playing bass in a, in a band. Oh, wow. And it wasn't Ludovic Kennedy. <laughs> uh, definitely not. <laughs> great solo. I, do, I am quite disappointed that the sax solo is like not fashionable anymore. I saw Hugh be brilliant in, in David Hare's Teeth and Smiles when he played the bass in that. Yeah, I did. With Helen Mirren, which was a great show. And, and the... The then relatively unknown Anthony Sher. Yes, I know about, about the guy who lost his thumb or something. I, I can't yes. remember. He, he was the organ. It was it was the the main ball at Cambridge, and yeah. he was the the very diffident organizer That's dealing right. with this out of control rock band led by Helen Mirren. Yeah, yeah. Was <laughs> I was going to say, Brian, thank you for Succession. Um, oh yes, yes. it's yes. really really top drawer. Yes, it's fucking. Savage. Savage. We're we're sort of uh, hovering now. We think we're probably, you know, we keep saying September, October, November. It probably won't be till November that we'll start again. But, oh, are you doing more? Brilliant. Oh, yeah, we've got That's a third brilliant. Season. We've got a third season. Uh, and we were supposed to be starting on April the 20th, but then the inevitable happened. Uh, and But the writers actually got it all written, which was very unusual because... In the past series, we'd get the episode as it came along, and we shot it chronologically. So uh, no, it's been uh, it, it's been a great been a great thing to do, and uh, yeah, they're ready to do. You're so great. How was it going back to Dundee and doing that there? It was the oddest situation ever uh, because I was playing a guy who left Dundee when he was very young, like I left Dundee when I was very young, but a guy who basically hated it. Whereas I had the opposite feeling about it, you know. And so it was quite interesting. You know. My diabolic twin, as I call him. <laughs> it, it, has sing, it has what the single-handedly the most, the most embarrassing and impressive rap in television history. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, was, that was quite a surprise when uh, 
my mad son did that on the night and because uh, I hadn't heard it nobody'd heard it and I just thought I didn't know how to react but that that was what to do was not exactly. to react. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sat there with non-reacting. <laughs> no, it's great. Put, we could have pulled out some snuff at least and snorted it and big sneeze. Yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> done that. Been there, done that. Yeah. You're great. You're great, Brian. You're Absolutely brilliant. And they just, um, I was just watching Manhunter. It was on telly a couple nights ago. Oh, man. You give me the willies every time. And I especially loved the bit where on the phone and the chewing gum and the foil and you take, you divert the phone and oh, brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know what's scary is that none of you look any older. <laughs> the white, you don't look, and, and, and Hugh as well, I'm in the white, but you don't, none of you look any older, whereas I've aged. No, no. not true. It's not true. You are exactly the same. same man. You look the same, man. You look the same. same. The same. I, wor- I worked with you in a, in a master class in my last year at drama school, and you're exactly the same. Were you at, were you at the Royal Scottish Academy? Yes, yes, I was, yeah. Yeah. Were you and David, David Tennant's here? Yeah, we, he, we were firm friends. That, that's the funny thing is. I knew him. I used to humor him about his Doctor Who fetish. Well, they, oh, really? they, <laughs> seriously, no, no, no. I was the only person who we talked to because I was quite geeky as well. And then he moved to London and, and then, I, then I heard over the grapevine that he got the job and I, I literally wept because that was his absolute dream. Yeah. <laughs> I did a podcast with David. Not, not the best Doctor Who though. <laughs> Easy. Podcast. Easy. Podcast. With David, yeah, I did one yesterday, a couple of weeks ago with David, and uh, he was reminding me about that very thing when I came to the Royal Scottish and did a did a master class with uh, some of the students there. It was great. Well, that was the thing at drama school is you really got to touch any anything outside, you know, from the professional world, and and just your presence there was, you know, was very meaningful to everybody. And I don't know how it felt at the time, but it was. Those are the things that drama schools don't really do very well, which is to you know, bring in the outside world into this thing that you're eventually going to leave to be part of. Well, I've always been keen on doing that. I've always been keen on giving back what I got. I got so much out of drama school when I was a kid. I mean, I was, I was, um, I was just 17 when I went to drama school. And I had worked in the theater beforehand at Dundee Rep, which is where I started. And, uh, and I, I just had the best time of my life at drama school. And I was determined and I was asked, I started teaching. In fact, my first group that I ever taught, and it's really strange now when I think about it, and my first group I ever taught was Ian Charlson and Harriet Walter. That was in my oh, first wow. group that I taught at Lambda. Wow. And I was, very, I was still quite young. I mean, I was not much older than they were. And it was uh, amazing. So I was always determined that whenever I was in a situation to be able to give back, I give would. Give back, yes, yeah. yes. So Brian, when you when you did um, the uh, Crucible and the scenes in in Moscow with the Muhat, um, yeah. did, did the idea for the book come before you went out? Was it part of the whole deal? Uh, no, that that came after. Uh, yeah, I think it came came after. Uh, Your yeah. idea, or someone said, "Hey, why don't you write that up?" No, I, I think it was uh, Methuen. Uh, yeah, Methuen. Yeah, Methuen. Whose name Pamela. Her sister was a, a critic on Time Out. And, oh, what was her last name? She was lovely. And she was my first editor. And then I got this American guy who really wasn't au fait with the British scene, so the editing wasn't as good. 
but it was no, I, that was that was that. But the Lear Diaries, which was a bit uh, the one I'd done after. In fact, I'm just about to republish them. Uh, there's an American publisher here who wants to publish both the books together, Excellent. and I'm doing a bridging passion, pa- passage. Okay. Between. Well, I will recommend it to everyone because I love the book. I mean, especially because we have this similar experiences. And I love the bit where you say that acting is just um, a disease that can be with the proper therapy. You can be rid of it. Yeah, you could be rid of it with the book. Yes, I, I love that saying. And that's what I've always said is the reason, that, the reason that we're actors is if, you know, people say you should have therapy. That, but if you have the wrong kind of therapy, you're not going to want to be acting anymore. Because, yeah, you know, we're all, we all do what we do because we, were, we had a deficit of love when we were children somewhere. Well, or a deficit of something. I mean, it could be lots of things that we had deficit of, deficit, deficit of. But the thing about it, I've sort of changed my view about that because I love the job. I really do love the job. And I don't think there's any other job like it. I mean, I think we're so lucky for what we do because yes. we go through a lot of shit. We deal with constant rejection. We deal with stuff that our pal Paul had to deal with. And yet we come through the other side and we still got a bit of a smile on our face. So I, I think that's worth so much, really, so much. Mm. We can. Oh, and Scott, um, I, uh, just, just for you, um, my favorite song, and I got a bit of shit from John Tam to this, but my favorite music moment is you singing Hearts of Oak in uh, Company. I'm not a singer, and I had one take. And... Yes. Well, I was going to say, because John was very, very pissed off that it was included. So you didn't practice much with John? You didn't rehearse you or anything, no? He gave me a tape. And I listened to it a thousand times and I did not. So what what people did at night when I got drunk and all the rest of it, I spent my entire time completely obsessed with this song that, that, and that's all I did. And I'm not a singer. It paid off, dude. It paid off. Well, you come out and you say, will you sing us off, sir? It's a loosening of the sphincter or a tightening. <laughs> but yeah, it's no, and, and it's one of the things that's cited because, I mean, and it's also, it's also quite apt because it's a whole bunch of men who are probably going to go off and fight and die. And it's, it's fairly terrifying. Yes, know? John, John Tam's issue is it's a naval song. That's, that's yeah, a lot issue. of people, a lot of people, I've, I've heard a lot of people in the forums and stuff like that and Facebook and stuff. They've kind of like that. Why is he doing singing that? Well, I don't know. It's Charles Wood. A beautiful I mean, moment. Beautiful moment. But the other thing with the script is, is, is the script is very, it feels very authentic. That particular Sharps company feels, has a very authentic, you know, texture to it more than, you know, more than the other ones, you know. Sure. It was written differently. Yeah. Which is, yeah. It's I Charles talk about Wood, it in my book. It? Charles Wood. Yeah. For, yeah when he wrote yeah. The, the Charge of the Light Brigade. He did. Uh, tumble down that Falklands. Uh, Right. Falkland's thing, yeah, lots of stuff, yeah. Tom loved him. Tom worshipped him. But he didn't write well for the chosen men. That's the trouble. Yeah, it's a little it's it's a it's a little bit tricky. Well, I mean, look, now we're in the, the age of showrunners, so that would never happen. You know. It wasn't now everything works like a Swiss watch. Back then it was more like a kind of sundial water clock, take your chances, if you will, with a focal pendulum thrown in for good measure somewhere. I don't know. It's... Made a silk purse out of a sow's ear, though, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. After after getting the bacon out of it first, <laughs> it's, it's just mad to hear like how much of a clusterfuck it was behind the scenes, especially the very first one and that, and how it just completely doesn't show on screen. Well, there wasn't there a make, the makeup artist who had a mental she she was one friend wandering in the bushes. Oh yes, yeah. Penny Penny Smith. Penny. She was um, she went to walk up Dimmerji on her own with her little tiny shorts and t-shirt on in December, 
And we all saw her being brought back down the mountain with a foil blanket wrapped around her. Do you remember back to base? Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty scary. I mean, it was a bit of a cry for help, but you know. Yeah. She was under stress. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's not like to be honest. Mm. I mean, like it's like you laugh and joke about it, but you're effectively stranded there, aren't you? For sixteen. You are. You were. No, it wasn't like the sort of thing you could go to the airport and you know. On I remember. I remember flying back from Mos- flying back from Simferopol on the, my first time back to London, and I because I, the, the the seats on the Aeroflot they flop backwards and forwards, and there's literally straw on the floor, you know, and people with chickens and cages and stuff. I mean, it's I mean standing room, and I remember waking up and looking out the window, and we were over water, and I went, <laughs> I'm trying to work it out. Yeah. Where's the water between the Ukraine and and I, and and I basically nobody had announced anything and eventually we all got we all kind of got off and stood on the runway and they were refueling it. I said, "Where are we?" Nobody knew where we were. We were in yeah. Georgia, which was as, which which I believe was in war, at war at the time with somebody or other. That's to the I, west, the east. Uh, yeah, east, yeah, yeah. No, I I think it was like you know you're you're, you're driving to Scotland from London, but you have to go via Dorset to get get <laughs> petrol. I don't know what that is. That's pretty but, freaky. That, oh, that, that, was a, that was Tony, was it Tony Haygarth's story about being, I, I might have been you, Hugh, but somebody told a story about they were in the cockpit of the British Airways flight that was landing in, in Moscow Airport. Yes. Uh, it, do you remember the story? Yes, and I was the, in there with, with Tony Haygarth, yeah. And do, do you remember what the pilot said when they landed? Yeah, I, I can't remember his exact words. But the basic, the basic line was that this, there was, there was a, you had to actually physically land the plane. There was no computers or anything to do it. And there's a strong crosswind yeah. in the Moscow airport. And it was in a blizzard. Yeah. So basically, you, you got the chance to see this. And you're forcing the planes kind of flying in sort of like this. Yeah. And they stopped. And they hit the ground. And apparently, they turned around to, to the UKs and went, it's fucking terrifying, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. That no, is terrifying. The cockpit was because um, when when we got on the plane, uh, the steward was a friend of Tony's. They hmm. they, drank, they drank in the same pub, and uh, with the result that we were moved up to to club class um, from economy, and we were we were given a, a constant supply of booze all the way mm-hmm. to Moscow. Uh, mm-hmm. So. <laughs> we were in, we were in quite good form by the time we got there, but that was exactly what happened in in the in the um, in the cockpit. Yeah, Scott, Scott, and Hugh, you guys missed out. What Asunta and I used to experience the char- the sharp charter flight. Oh really? Oh yeah. Yes, and that oh, was. Yes. I, I did do one from. Did do one? Yeah. It was it to Spain? I think wasn't it? Or was no, it- we we went from Stansted or Gatwick to Turkey. You did, I think. Turkey, that's yeah. right, Turkey. No, no, you also did. We did it straight to Crimea once on, on Sharp Three. Yeah, no, it was a Turkey one. I remember. Yeah. Turkey, okay. You wore a suit. I remember. Yes. A very fetching grey suit. Yes, it's it's good when you go through customs to look look like you're a straight businessman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One can make up for being occasionally overdressed by always being immensely overdressed. Even though I had a ponytail and a crazy, you know, a crazy look on my face. But you, you, got, yeah, you yeah. weren't wearing that tie-dye T-shirt in that other photo, were you? I wasn't, but you know the story behind that shirt? It's horrific. Go on. The Lith- thank you very much. The Lithuanian basketball team was surprised that they came third in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. And they had no ceremonial shirts to wear on, on the, uh, pl- uh, the podium. So a grateful deadhead said, don't worry, man. And they made them all up these shirts, the one you <laughs> saw. 
<laughs> and I wore that shirt in About a Boy in one of my scenes with Hugh Grant. So this, that shirt, all you want, baby. No, I love it. I did. You know what? I love you for having the guts to wear such an awful shirt <laughs> and just wear it with pride and own it. Yeah. Natasha says the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's hideous. And I'm wearing I, it. Deal with it, people. I, apparently they're going to schedule an entire parade just for that shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it needs like its own passport and stuff. Yeah. I'm going to send all you guys a picture of the shirt so you can see. I, yeah. I remember. I remember the shirt. Oh, cool. Thank it's you. Got, like it's burnt onto my record. Yes, uh, yes, I had it on Sharp too. Yes, Scott, you yeah, I, I, re- I remember that shirt. I'm like audacious. <laughs> so, oh, so when's, your, when's your book coming out? The book should be coming out in spring t- 2021. Cool. Yeah, there's a four month delay. Something happened this year that delayed everything for a few months. So, uh, yeah, but it's cool. It gives me time to like hone a bit more. I can add a few things in. Some of the stuff we said today, I can add in maybe. La, la, la. Well, it's kind of funny because, I mean, anybody, any shoot right now, if you're allowed, you know, phones on the set, everything is documented. There's a million photos from everybody. But, you know, that wasn't how it was back in the day. Mm. You know, there were no photos. There was nothing like that. You know, if you had a camera, you'd be like, you know, it's a peculiar idea. That you Where go, did you put it in the right, horse? Right? When yeah. did you put it in the horse? <laughs> the what, what in a horse? What the the film? The what? camera. The camera. Was I, I was never on a horse. I I kept ah. the camera, you know, ah, okay. on a tripod, or someone else held my camera, or but I yeah, definitely well, shot lots of I stuff. I couldn't. No, no, yeah. you you did a lot more work than I did. I was I was partying. You was too me. busy arguing with the director about female emancipation and getting a better well, there's, to, there's, to have her following short around, going, "Oh, you're so lovely." It's well, that, that's the story story of Richard Moore. After the, uh, you know, he actually on his own, somebody spotted him. He went up to what was Teresa's grave, and you know that for the for the scene, you know that they all paid their respects. But after they everybody cleared off, the grave was still there, and Richard Moore went up and laid a flower on the grave. Yeah. Aww. No, it's nice. No, I mean, it's like, I, I should go about Richard Moore because I imagine he'd fallen through a time hole and was living in, you know, 1812 or something. Because he was, <laughs> the, you'll never meet a more authentic man. But is know. it weird dying? Like, are you like, oh, I know I've got to die on camera, but do well, I don't want to overdo it. Or, but I don't want it to look rubbish. It must be the weirdest thing to do a death scene. A little bit, yeah. Well, well a lot of the time it's, I mean, the best way, the, probably the best way to do it is I don't want to go. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that, which is kind of what you'd think it would be. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like David Tennant leaving the doctor, you know, I don't want to go. That's kind of what yeah. is, that's a very, it's a very powerful thing. You know, I don't know. I got shot and I fell down. Hakeswell <laughs> shot me. And then I came back and wore a loo and it wasn't me, you know? <laughs> oh, did, were you one of the people that walked around the back of the camera and came back on again? Yeah. Well, no, 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 I didn't get, no, I didn't come. No, that wasn't what well, I get. I get shot at the end of Sharp's company trying to save us, trying to save Teresa. Yeah. Teresa looks way too pleased to see me, by the way, when I turn up, <laughs> she's like, Harry, it's like, how does she know his bloody name's Harry? It's Lieutenant Price. How does she know? <laughs> They're a little intimate. Harry. I'm like, I'm like, keep it down, sweetheart. Keep it on the, on the QT cupcake. You know, it's, Sharp's over there. He's going to come over here with his big sword and his heavy breathing. And we're all in trouble. So, <laughs> So, so the thing was that they, I was living in Los Angeles by then, and they said, do you want to come and do Waterloo? And I was like, um, will you bring me there? And said, yeah, we'll bring you from London. I said, well, I'm not in London. I have to come back from LA. Anyway, I really regret not doing it. I thoroughly yeah. regret not doing it. It was, it was less irons instead. Yeah, no relation. No, uh, no. <laughs> you yeah, know, it, was, but, it was strange, because Price is quite big in the books. He's, you know, he goes through quite a few of the books. So 
it's a shame they they couldn't have you know well it was an odd decision to 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 offer them at the end of company the company was radically different remember they had all that stuff going up ladders and yeah. you know and shinning up the outside of the um, the last time we were in Badajoz, there was a massive reenactment going on there wow really which was very peculiar. It was all these guys all dressed up, you know, like infantrymen and all the rest of it. When she played, I went, she played Teresa Moreno in Sharp. And they were like, all right. <laughs> they were like, crazy. They're okay. an old bunch, aren't they, Zach? Reenactors. Yeah, they, they certainly are. They really don't like it when you refer to them as the dressy up people either, I've learned. No, or <laughs> the fact that they're a little bit too particular about whether a button should be this shape or that shape. <laughs> and well, you just kind of go, yeah, but that's not every, the bigger picture. Everybody, everybody <laughs> needs a hobby, I guess. Uh, no, I, look, I, I think it's, I think it's. Look, that yeah. that thing I talked about, sitting on the plateau outside the bell tent with a sword, sitting on a little stool, looking out over the the countryside, and then that moment, you you get an opportunity to travel in time. Yeah, I mean, sounds. Richard Moore was totally my guru. I mean, he we had a whole three weeks of. Uh, base camp with him and everything he taught me just came in handy and i'll just he really made me the soldier i was in the show if if that was any good uh but he's you know the reenacts are brilliant because they're, they're just they're making you see this history that you never would see the amount i do so many reenactments there's lots of little kids around dressing up and they're learning about history and then they go to sharp and then they, you know it's reenactors are amazing they 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 absolutely must be cherished we, we, did, we did a screening of Sharp's company in, in um, the film festival in Astorga. And we did it with a historian. Um, and he said, he said, if you go to a, a bookstore, a big bookstore in Spain, if you look for the Peninsula War, the Independence War, the War of Independence of Spain, he said, you're lucky if you find three or four books. Um, and they're mostly translated from English. And he said, when the first time he went to London, he went to, you know, a, a, an average bookstore and he went into the, and he said it was just, there was an entire bookshelf of 150 books on the Peninsula War. And the curious thing is, is that Sharp has never come to Spain. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, ne- it's never been seen in Spain. It's never wow. been, you know, uh, they've... I don't know what Mears did with... And it absolutely makes no, in, no sense whatsoever that they didn't shoot it in Spain. You so know? strange. So strange that the movie that uh, I I don't know neither TV Spain or yeah I don't know I don't know who has the rights now as uh, I don't know because Mears and Alejandro I guess um, uh-huh. it's weird because remember it was it was shown completely in Russia the mm. whole series was shown I, I remember going to visit the, um, the Natasha's family when we were in Turkey for the weekend and they were running sharp on telly all of no. our bits d- dubbed into Russian right now. Yeah, no, no, this was years ago. It was dubbed. It wasn't with the guy speaking over the top of it. Yeah, speaking over the top, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Speaking over the top. I love that. When the guy goes, yeah. and somebody's back and going, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, and often, yeah, and often you hear the, the first bit of the English line and then the Russian cuts in. Yes, 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 yes. Do you know, Alex, there's a question we forgot to ask Scott. Um, um, does Scott ask Asunta to call him a proper bastard all the time. <laughs> I've never, said that, was, my, I've never said that in my life. What's no, but you from? know that's the line from Sharp. Do I say he's a proper bastard? No, no. Uh, in, uh, in Sharp's short rifles. phrase, isn't it? It's bastard. Yeah. Ah, um, it's bastard. A, it's, that's a compliment. 
Ah, proper that's bastard. A, if you're a proper bastard, that's a compliment. Oh, it's and there's yeah. an exchange between Sharp and and uh, 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 Teresa where they talk about that. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. It's so it's so funny because who? What's what's his name? Nicholas, um, the Rocket Man. Um, uh, Nick Rowe. Nick Rowe. Nick Rowe. Who who spent a lot of time in Trenent near Edinburgh. Who's another sweet sweet man? Is okay. he still about? Yes, he's going to be coming on on the next uh, podcast after. You can join in too if you want. Love to. He, yeah, just, we'll get we'll get a Sharp's company or a Sharp's second series of podcast going. And of course, Mark Warren. Whatever happened to him? Mark Warren. Yes, I know. He's also going to come on and do a podcast. Yeah, he was there. As, I long, actually, as, we get, as long as we get everyone from Sharp's company, he's willing to come on. I do. I do feel foolish going up to him. Going, has anybody ever told you you look like Malcolm McDowell? Um, <laughs> but we did. We always said that. We all. We all no, no, no. But because because it, it's he looks preposterously like Malcolm McDowell, and he's had a kind of Malcolm McDowell esque career. I mean, he's absolutely, you know. When you guys run into other sharp people when you're working on things now, do you gravitate towards each other? Of course. So yeah. Zach and Alex, do you think we're all crazy? Do you? Uh, do you no, know what? Zach has been on every single one from the beginning. Um, and on the first one, he had 20 pages of notes and didn't want to say anything unless he was reading it all um, back. So he's, he just, he's grown so much doing all this. But he just if he says not one word in the whole thing and just gets to sit in and listen, he's happy. Because it's, it's like, it is the reason he does what he does is sharp. So. I said this to Bernard Cornwell um, when I met him a few years ago, and he honestly gave me a look that was like, okay, do I need to call security to get you out of my face now? <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, look, people become paleontologists because of, you know, because of Jurassic Park. Me and my friend, we, we do our, the jobs that we do because, I mean, he's an archaeologist and I'm an actor because we both wanted to be Indiana Jones when we were kids. Yeah. You know, we, we just went different, different ways about it. And he actually became a bloody archaeologist. And he, he told me once, he said, you know, I got a chance to do it. We were digging in uh, Syria. And he said, uh, I actually got a chance to say it. I said, say what? He said, I got a chance to stop everybody and say we're digging in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, though. Anyone who did the Indiana Jones archaeology thing then realised that you actually just spend your entire life sitting in a pile of shit. Yeah, surrounded by low walls. Making notes and mathematical measurements about what you found and that you don't ever get to fight Nazis or do anything fun. <laughs> well, according to the woke uh, culture wars we're engaged in right now, yes, there's plenty of them out there. And yeah, they, yeah uh, well, literally. And they wrote Harry Potter. <laughs> yes. Guys, thank you. It's been brilliant. What a joy. Thank you. Thanks yes, for thank inviting you. me. Thanks, Alex. Nice to see you all. Fantastic to see you all. And see you on the other side of whatever this is, you know, when we can all actually sit in the same place and, you know. And act together. And Jason, thank you for asking. Yeah, yeah likewise. Is, you're one of the first on my list, you know. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye Hugh. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. 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 Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.